A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through chapter 10 of The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson, the final book in era two of Mistborn. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I I love this book already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't really have anything else to vamp on. I just really love this book. <laughs> this episode is strictly no vamping, strictly no vamping. Cool. Well, I'm I'm very excited as well. Today is our first episode, as mentioned, of course, covering The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson, and I am very excited to talk about it. Chat talking about the prologue through chapter 10. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves and, and start just ushing and gushing all kinds of love all over the place, PJ, tell me what you're drinking. So I don't have a cocktail today. I do have Ooh. a pour of Four Roses Single Barrel Select or a hey. small batch select, small some, okay. small batch select, which is really, really, really nice. But what I want to talk about is the beer that I'm drinking, which is very pretty, and it is called Ants by Forager Brewing Company out of Rochester, Minnesota. The label, first of all, is gorgeous. I showed you a picture of it before, but it's this like gold foiled black background wrap a lot of their a lot of their labels are in a similar Mm -hmm. vein but this one just really pretty of a queen ant wings and all but it is a barrel aged stout with cinnamon vanilla Mm -hmm. cocoa and i think coffee and ants and chili peppers (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's a lot of ingredients going into it it's inspired off of mexican mole but with ants. So I'm going to take a sip of it. It's really, really weird. You don't taste the ants at all. <laughs> this one's for Ant YouTube. Yeah, this one's for pour, Ant YouTube. Pour one out for Ant I YouTube. I don't, I don't know if they'd like that. <laughs> I don't think they would. But everything Forager does is just killer knockout, especially in the department of their stouts and their barrel-aged stouts at that. But just heavy notes of vanilla and chocolate i don't really get the cocoa and i don't really get the chili peppers or the cinnamon that's all kind of lost but this did just come out of my fridge i don't get any of the spices at all (laughs) well so here's the thing with like barrel aged stouts you kind of have to drink them at a little bit of a warmer temperature because a Mm -hmm. lot of those notes can be completely overpowered by some of the heavier ones so letting it warm up a little bit is usually the right way to go or or keeping it in a temperature controlled fridge that can keep it a little bit warmer than normal fridge temp so as this one warms up i'm sure i'll get some some of the spice Mm -hmm. but not at the present moment (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense Hmm. yum i'm uh... still just like a luxurious thick stout that you kind of expect from them it's just delicious forager makes great stuff i've loved i think literally everything i've had from forager i don't know that i can remember a bad beer um Mm -hmm. within memory cool that's awesome i do have one their their belgian double wasn't great 
Mm, but okay. I was coming from the brewery that like specialized in Belgian beers, so maybe it was yeah, snobbery. That's a that's a fair point. So what are you drinking, Crossland? I settled because we've got a we've got kind of a thing after this when we're done that I was gonna have some like I wanted some coffee and so I was like, well, am I gonna drink? Because usually I'll have like tea or like lightly caffeinated tea or whatever. So I just had some of my parents' coffee because I'm dog sitting because it's weak compared to what I usually drink. So it compares with tea. But I figured that there was a great opportunity to make like a coffee driven cocktail, and so I made just like a Caribbean coffee, nothing crazy, rum and Kahlua with you know, decent, well-brewed coffee. So nice. I want to get into that more. I actually, I I really want to get into more specialty coffee in general. So if Mm. you have any recommendations for, I have coffee for specialty coffee. I know, I know, but coffee for French press specifically. Sure. And it's really you know, about the grind more than, and then like the flavor that you like, right? Because the extraction or, method. Or a good grinder. Is, like I, well, I know. A good I grinder know, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'll, I have like a spice grinder, basically. Yeah. Like that style. I understand. And I know that's not ideal. No. Right. It totally just obliterates and it doesn't create consistent. It makes extraction really hard because you have different sized chunks and you also can blend it too much and there's all kinds of problems. So. I tend to do that. I have a very heavy hand when it comes to blending things. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. So I'm having that, but I'll definitely give you a coffee lesson at whatever point that it feels like it's a speculative knowledge just waiting to happen to some degree. But I'm I'm following that up with a stout as well. So just kind of easy, easy drinking coffee cocktail. And then I'm following that up with the It's Always Stout Season Episode 2, st- styled after It's Always Sunny. The subtitle is The Gang Brewed Another Imperial Stout. Dot, dot, dot. This time with maple syrup, Tahitian vanilla, and coffee from Heist Brewing. Nice. So Where's Heist make, out of? My body says here, but my brain says Asheville. So I'm going to okay. double check. Charlotte. Okay. So it was close. I was in between. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't close. But my parents picked up a bunch of uh, Heist, Brew, Heist Brewing stuff when they went this fall. And so my dad, when he left for the trip that they're currently on was like, Hey, drink some of the stouts that are in the fridge. Cause they're going to be close, you know, edging on quality. The last time that he had one, he was like, it was kind of falling off a little bit. So go for Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. So it's super good. I let it warm up a little bit. So I'm getting all of the flavor expression and it is like <laughs> the perfect vanilla. I love it. Yeah. I am starting to get a little bit of a lingering heat on like the back of my throat. Mm. I haven't tasted any of the peppers yet, but I can feel them. So drinks like Philadelphia maple syrup. I've had so much Philadelphia maple syrup that I know exactly what that tastes like. It's totally, totally what I get here. Nice. Good deal. Speaking of (laughs) maple syrup. Yeah. When I was at Forager, one that they had and I didn't get, and I kind of wish I would have. They had a beer. I can't remember the name of it, but much like I want to say it was called Grandma's Got a Gun Mm. from Oso Brewing. They mm-hmm. replaced the water with maple sap. So you, they used maple sap, like raw maple sap, which is like, if you don't know about like, the yeah. process of making maple syrup, it takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. It's reduced that much. So it's very, mm-hmm. very watery still, so it can be used in that way. But I would yeah. have loved to have seen how they did with that one, because I really liked Grandma's Got a Gun. That's honestly such an interesting idea. I really, I would agree with you. I definitely wonder how that turned out because that is fascinating. 
I also wonder if it was a pain to clean out of the tanks and everything else. If it was any more painful than anything. I can't imagine it's that Probably crazy. Probably not. But, yeah. <clears throat> just curious. I was just thinking, and I was like, hmm, I wonder yeah. if that was extra, extra painful or anything like that. It's um, like pure Philadelphia maple syrup, maple syrup pretty runny exists. to begin with. Yeah, right. So right. what what is the difference between Philadelphia maple syrup and regular maple syrup? Philadelphia maple syrup doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I was I just hoping that you were like, for it. No, I was I was definitely playing into like a stupid always sunny style always sunny style joke of like them making <laughs> some shit up that, that that doesn't isn't real and people believe it's funny because it actually landed and I didn't expect it to. <laughs> that's why you laughed after i said cool yeah, i know that's why i was giggling i was like what you just you bought that i'm I mean, sure someone yeah. in philadelphia makes maple syrup but i'm sure it's just maple syrup those philadelphia philadelphia maple trees that are starved for any water yeah they're real big eagles fans too which means you know like fuck them just kidding just kidding all right so before we talk about the chapters, PJ, how do you feel about this week's reading? How do you feel about the Lost Metal so far? I think this is my favorite book of the series so far. In this, in this like short exposure to it, Era One and Two, like overall, I feel like this is so well written and tells such a compelling story already that I am like just salivating to dive in farther with it. I'm very excited by that prospect, and I can tell you that when I picked it up. I was in, I was like, I wouldn't say that I was dreading it necessarily, but as we know from last week's episode, Secret History left a very funky taste in my mouth that tarnished. You're not supposed to eat books. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. That tarnished a lot of other things in appreciation for the series. But picking up this was like a dose of dopamine in a completely different way. And I, I don't just attribute that necessarily to like coming back to the world and everything, but for me, one of the things that I picked up on listening to kind of the prologue and everything else is, and one of the reasons that I really like the book is, I think, and I feel like I can attribute this to some degree, but uh, Jillian Redford, Redfern, edited this one, who is usually the UK editor for the books, and so usually she would just do dialect changes and stuff like that, but she is the editor for a number of my favorite books. And I feel like I can feel her sort of tone oozing out of this more than I like in between things. And I think that she just has such a good grasp on how to construct and order things properly and emotions and feelings that this feels like a completely different entry from all of the other books just on language alone. And you feel that in the first 10 chapters already. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I was blown away when I opened it. I was like, what the fuck? This feels so different than the rest of Era 2. It does. It, yeah. it, it's a very, very different vibe in in the best ways. So I'm very excited mm -hmm. to talk about it. I agree with you. This was this was the first section that I actually ended up being able to listen to, and almost exactly where I stopped when I was in Texas. So this was kind of a combination of the flights afterwards, and this is basically exactly what I listened to on that first day having the book flying out of Salt Lake. So when I left you, this is basically what I was able to get through. So cool. All right. I still want to talk about this because I do. I do love it. I do want to bring something up, though, that is sort of a general theme as well that gets into the the Jillian thing. And we'll talk about it more when you get to these bits and these 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 kind of comments. But so Jillian 
was the editor, is the editor for the first Law series and for Joe Abercrombie as well. And I know that you haven't read it, right? And I know that you're you're nowhere near it. But I feel like a part of what I really appreciate this about this book is Wayne and Wayne's jokes. He has completely dodged what otherwise felt like caricature at moments and times in the other story. And not only feels more real, but the jokes are more hurtful and worse in every like they're more misogynistic. They're they are groundedly bad as opposed to someone's attempt at telling a bad joke who doesn't maybe know. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's yeah, it, it's almost uh, like it was missing an edge and he has an edge now. And it, it was it was missing that edge before, I think. So it's interesting that you bring it up in that way, because mm-hmm. I I perceived it as like a temperance. Oh God, no! In a sense, that's not, interesting. Not, not in content, yeah. but in like cartoonishness, if that makes sense. Like he, he feels like a real person telling misogynistic jokes, not like a cartoon character spouting yes, off something. Yes, that, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, I understand he, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think we're on the same page as far as like where Wayne's character is. And I think we both agree, but I took it as like a, let's, let's settle this a little bit and like take the highs out. And you, you saw it as like an amping up of specific points or or you focused on it more. Like, yeah, they both have, but it it got brought to a, to a point of realism that I think I appreciate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, to me, the editors for the first three books would have never made a joke about a prostitute the way that Wayne does in the first <laughs> couple of chapters in this book. Like that is kind of the intent of like what I what I'm trying to get at is like content is suddenly on the table in some ways that it previously felt like there were restrictions and like guide rails almost, which made and- Wayne feel not like. He's he's depicted as this unhinged character, but he doesn't feel unhinged like he is and isn't. You know what I mean? Within mm-hmm. within temperance, kind of, and within that kind of caricature, like we were saying. Um, yeah, but now it feels and like the the wheels are off, which is a great thing. <laughs> I'm wondering if that's strictly an editor thing, or if that feeds into what Brandon talked about in that welcome ceremony or that release party speech that he gave, where he said the gloves are off. And I know he was specifically talking about crossover between different series but i wonder if he's just kind of leaning into some of the more adult themes in general as well that's interesting because stormlight does lean a little bit i would say a little bit more adult overall i mean it's just got a longer page count so you can do more with it and expose themes more accurately i think i mean at the very least at brandon's pace of storytelling you can expose themes more accurately with the page count like i he can build more complete characters in the way that he does but even those books at times feel like they're kind of tempered by guardrails and to me i feel like for me personally given the experience that i have with the other works i would give this trophy to Jillian Redfern on the whole thing, if that makes sense. I don't, I, I'm not saying that there aren't things that like hit this note in other places, but this feels, I would attribute it most considering what I know and taking in all the information that I have that I know that you don't entirely have. And I would give that little trophy to Jillian. And I so badly, so badly want her to edit all of the rest of them now. Give her Stormlight 5, please. 
Like that's that's my like core being responding. But there's more to talk about here. I can't talk about all of it, but it already felt that way in the first 10, like 10 chapters. After I heard that in the prologue, I was like, oh, I can like kind of feel that same oozing that I do to some of these things that you do from. Oh, God, it's it's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Time to talk about the actual story. So getting into the prologue. Oh, we we cut to young Wayne and his bed. And this is the first prologue that we haven't had from Wax's perspective. Our first sort of trilogy of books cover prologues from Wax's perspective. And we jump into Wayne and get a picture of what his youth looked like here. And it's it's simultaneously the entire thing is simultaneously very adorable and very tragic. It, you can see where Wayne ended up becoming the person that he is to some degree because of the impoverished state of living and because of kind of the track that he set up on. But you can also see sort of the the whimsy at an early age, his stories and dreams of mistrates under the bed and like reaching for him and like all the different mannerisms that he kind, he never grew out of because he didn't really have a parent or parents mm-hmm. at all. And so I don't know, it's, it's just so great. And you can see and feel how you set up for the crime that he eventually commits that we never see of course but we we know and feel from previous exchanges yeah this this prologue is so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. It, it is as you mentioned tragic and insightful and wayne's character is built and shipped by by this age, basically, like th- this is his formative years, obviously. But like, there are so many things that you can tell he just never grew out of, or or has always been a part of him. His rationale behind things, his his choices, the idea that like it's better to not have a bed because you can't get grabbed by a mistwraith. So like, mm-hmm. I, I'd prefer to have this mat on the floor. yeah it's an it's an outlook thing it's it's a character thing it's great he's already seeing like he's seeing things as equations and as trades already at that age right like it's not strictly a trade but because of x y happens so get rid of x so that y doesn't happen that that just feeds into the whole methodology of character i love that you brought that up because it's totally also there inside of this exchange yeah and his mom is just such a lovely character. I mean, I adore Wax's mom in this section. I, I think that the fact that she tells this story to this kid, it just it it calls to me like prologues in like old Disney movies do where you have the mom character that dies mysteriously or that disappears or, you know, there's just so many different moments where like that parental figure is gone. And this just feels like that in just a perfectly painful tugging way you know she works in this red mine as we hear it described and it's described again wonderfully given a ton of adjectives to kind of make it out to be this beast that's in the distance that she goes and works at as a part of this industrial revolution pre-union and has lost other family members to it you know it's it's just so great so tell me what do you think about the comparisons between this and red rising in that red mine (laughs) Father figure died in the mine. <laughs> Uncle died in the mine. Uncle died well. in the mine. Seemed pretty uh, pretty on the nose there, huh? You know, it's it's an interesting comparison <laughs> now that you bring it up. Yeah, I didn't plan that, of course, because I didn't know that this book was coming out. <laughs> I can't claim any sort of, you know, grand planism on this one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
would have put it, wouldn't have put it past you though yeah very true very true but she tells these stories and the thing that gets me and it's not necessarily made factual here it's made factual later by wax but one of the things that shook me in reading this is that the stories of Alamancer Jack is a genuinely real person and not just an Indiana Jones-like character that's in the background. And so my brain, because it's always seemed like he's a fake gentleman explorer that's just being written about, you know, in a in a sort of quasi-fictional way by his assistant, has always felt like it was just this joke. And the guy's fucking real... I have to like reevaluate all of the broadsheets now. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you though? Uh, because like, no, they're mostly lies, but like, yeah. Remember that similar stories were told about Wayne and wax, right? Like they, they spawned their own sort of like, I don't know if it got published in the same way that these ones did, but like the rumors got around that were obviously like exaggerated and not necessarily true in the slightest. Yeah. So it, it it makes sense to me, but that roots it and creates this like super well weaved story out of out of this previously like side broadsheet only character. Well, there's a there's a whole fucking novella, PJ, that I skipped for us reading it because I didn't think it would matter, and now it's like, oh, the guy's real, I guess. Fuck. <laughs> so yeah. Oh well. But yeah, it just it was one of those things too that hit me in, inside of this reading, and especially between kind of mom and wax. It just it was not something that I had ever pieced together as him being real. Like it always felt like every time that wax had talked about him previously, he was like or like that fool Jack, and so it always implied to me that they were talking about him as like a role model from the broadsheets, like he was a fraud or a fake. Um, mm-hmm. And this instead proposes that he's he's real. His exploits might be fake or obviously overblown, you know, as as estimated by Wax and the papers. But still, the fact that he's a real living, breathing person just blew my mind. And it shouldn't have, but it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Right. But the prologue ends in just the most tragic way until the next day where there was another collapse at the mine and his mother didn't come home. And it's just such a sad and somber moment to end this whole thing, which is otherwise very hopeful about Wayne's future and what's going on for the family. Like any mother would tell their, you know, son. And it it just it hurts. And then you kind of it just fills in this part of the backstory that I didn't know that I needed for Wayne, but I love that I have. And it gets to that idea that like core idea of like sacrifice for him is is a big deal and keeping people together and not losing people yeah there's just a lot there there's a ton there but mostly why do you keep making me read sad books (laughs) truth be told pj i mean okay every book is gonna be a little bit sad because they won't make you sad but i didn't know that this one was gonna be sad i feel like that's gonna be my (laughs) bit for this whole book It's like, I didn't know. No, it's it's very fun. I'm actually, again, I'm really glad that we kind of did this experiment because I'm having a lot of fun with this idea. I and mean, obviously it's going to happen again with the next two Red Rising books because, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know in book five about what is going to be in book six. So Those better not you know. be sad books. <laughs> I highly doubt they won't be sad books. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine. Um, no, of course one thing not. I yeah. 
I mean, highly unlikely, highly unlikely that they'll be sad. They're just, you know, butterflies and rainbows and planets exploding. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to make mention as well. Something that I really appreciate about this book is that it doesn't waste any fucking time. Like it is so expeditious in these chapters are really short and juicy. Like, they're filled with exactly what they need every single time. And nothing more, no fluff. It's just smooth sailing. So, we're not going to be talking as much as we do at every chapter, but that's because previously, one of these chapters would have been two or three chapters. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. Right. I mean, so far, at the very least. There, there are a couple of chunky chapters near the end, but they don't waste time either. So... It's good. Cool. All right. With that, let's go into chapter one. So we fast forward 29 years from the prologue, but it's been roughly six years since the end of Bands of Mourning. Moving over to... Go ahead. I, I feel like I was pretty on the mark on that one, right? You are pretty much you pretty much nailed the age, yeah. 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 Yep. Cool. Yeah, so he's like 40 now or so, just shy of 40, 39, I think. I, I mean the the time jump thing. Oh, yes, you did nail the time jump. Yes, 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 yes. You totally nailed the time jump between the books. Yeah. No, I don't know if you caught that. I was kind of I knew that there was a time jump when we were recording the secret history stuff and even the end of Bands of Mourning. What was our recording in Texas? I was definitely being cheeky with you because I also had read the prologue before because it was published way ahead of time. That was the only thing that I read before the book came out. And then I read the first chapter says the 29 years later. And so I knew that because it was at the bottom of the prologue. So. Mm -hmm. i was like oh yeah okay pj was right (laughs) good guess but cool so we move from wayne into marisi's perspective and we start the story with her and wayne taking on an investigation of the set in a sewer and wow i gotta say that this like this moment of the story just takes off it's wonderful the voice in this world is just to me it's worlds and universes above the, the like full voice and tone i've already said this i've already praised the pros feels levels above a lot of the rest of era one and parts of era two for sure but this book just takes off screaming and i i love that what you make of wayne and marisi being the new constable pairing now that they're forward six years and also that they're legit constables to begin with i mean obviously marisi was but wayne wasn't the pairing feels awesome the, yep. I mean, they they are able to banter back and forth. They work well together. It makes sense to me. And what also makes sense to me is that Wayne would follow this path. After, after Wax is done as a lawman, Wayne doesn't really... It, considering his background and what, what he's done and how he got into everything, like of course he was going to continue being a lawman. It only makes sense for him. So being brought on to the force in an official capacity, I feel like is the right and natural move. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And Wax was already at the end of his days to some degree with constableship at in Bands of Mourning. So he was he was out effectively. Mm-hmm. So made sense after what happened in Shadows. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I. I just I really appreciate the pairing. I think it works great. I think it's clear that they've grown together too in like again, both where where is he? Marisi and Wayne feel like just excellent compliments to each other and it feels like we're really getting to explore their characters in more than a almost tertiary required scene if that makes sense. Like it it was like the to me some of Era 2's storytelling could sometimes feel like 
we need to have this scene, so we're having this scene, not as though the characters were driving towards that scene. This feels mm-hmm. like everything is being pushed in a direction from from genuine motivation between people. Yeah. And it's really just a note. That's, and that's a it is a note, but it, it, yeah. it's, I agree with it entirely. I feel like it's too early for me to comment on yeah, scenes right. that don't need to exist in this book compared to the others, but you're right. Like that definitely seemed to, to happen once in a while. Not that mm-hmm. not scenes that didn't need to happen scenes that needed to happen. That didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, that otherwise, like, we we got there without, like, fully knowing why we got there to some degree or how we got there. Um, mm-hmm. Motivations are very in line on this one. Yeah, and I, I we talked about this as well at the top when I was talking about kind of the comedy with Wayne. But did you have anything, any other thoughts on sort of the sort of endearing changes to the humor and sort of the way that this is shifted? Anything else that you wanted to point out? I want to make sure that, you know, didn't bury the lead, but... Kind of buried the so I, I guess the crux of my point was that mm-hmm. Wayne feels like he's having conversations when he's making mm-hmm. these jokes and telling these stories that are crude and misogynistic and whatever, whatever else they might be. He feels like he's actually giving and taking and, and, and being a real fucking human being as opposed to just bulldozing through the conversation with his comments okay yeah i see what you're saying that's also true in its own right like he takes he takes note of what marisy says and how she responds to things and adjusts accordingly even Mm -hmm. even if he doesn't agree with it like he'll he'll he seems to like dial back or kind of pause and pause in space a little bit when she makes an offhanded comment or not offhanded but or makes an interject interjection to his his punchline or whatever it is yeah a retort yeah Yeah, any of that so it just it felt really good (laughs) yeah it totally does it feels great by comparison that's where i'm coming from when i said that his sort of crudeness was tempered a little bit yeah not that it's not there and not that it's changed in any way but that he's actually cognizant of what he's saying and is able to take feedback and and respond in kind. Yeah, that. So I, I guess kind of the way that I'm thinking about this is it's kind of two sided, right? And I think our ideas. I think you said this in the beginning, so I'm likely reiterating what you're saying. But our ideas build upon each other, right? Like he yep. is more crude, but also because he is and and more accurately crude in in a way that feels real and tangible and not like it's on PG guide rails, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Versus. And then on top of that, to like round it out, he also his jokes are also actually interacting with characters as opposed to previously wax mostly just blowing him off and blowing off the joke and like, you know, not responding for the most part. It's genuine Which, interaction and feedback. And then he, he makes changes and adjustments and is taking in information. Yeah. And I I like that you put it on wax to blow through it because that is what happens. But my perception of it was that it was just like the jokes there and we get to mull on it and nobody interacts with it. And then the story continues uh, up until this point, it's been, Oh Wayne, you know, you jokester basically, basically. basically yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think wax's fault ultimately versus like correcting some of these behavioral things. He's just been kind of, Wayne is the way that he is and it's mm-hmm. effective. So I don't mess with it, <laughs> you know, versus Marcy is like, well, you can let someone know that they're doing something wrong and that they're saying something wrong and incorrect. So in a way, I wonder, we're still liking them. 
I wonder now if mm-hmm. we'll see that same thing if it's Wayne interacting with Wax. It's a good question. Like, is this a, is this a writing thing? Is it an editing thing, or is it a character thing? Great question. Something to yeah. pay attention to. I think um, mm-hmm. all of me attributes the the jokes changing, the front end of that equation shifting because of editing for the most part, and maybe maybe Brandon's openness to write more risque jokes and encouraged to do so. But part of my brain says that that's that's editing. The other side of it, though. Could very well be either, and that's something that we should definitely pay attention to. Yeah. We'll keep that on the radar. Cool. cool. All right. With that, we move into Chapter 2, and we shift to our boy Waxillium Ladrian's perspective, with Saris running down a list of things to prepare for a political engagement in Ellendell's Senate. While she's running down her list, including a number of things like the cravat being tied, for getting a kiss on the list, it's clear that things between them have changed and grown dramatically, including the size of their family. As we're introduced to little Maxillium and Tindwill as well. I, do, what do you think of the name Maxillium? So, I know a lot of people were hating on it. And I don't love it, but I don't have any actual feelings about it. I think it sounds so dumb. It's, it's pretty dumb. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Just what? <laughs> I appreciate that. Wax calls him Max, and I feel like that's probably what we'll do going forward. Yeah, I'm not going to call. I'm going to, I probably, no promises. Maybe we'll turn this into a drinking game, but if I ever call him Maxilium again, I don't know. We drink. We drink. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the drink. I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do that ever again. So there's your two or three. I just don't (laughs) like it. I don't like it. It didn't, it didn't vibe with me. So for in the rest of the notes for the rest of this episode, every time he comes up, I'm just like, Max. So, okay. Why is that bad? And Waxillium isn't. Here's the thing. I think it's because (laughs) we have Waxillium. If he were Maxillium, I think it would have been okay. If Wax was named Max to begin with. It would have been fine, probably. Okay, so what um, if it was flipped? What if his son was then Wax? I think that would still be bad. However, <laughs> I it okay. My mother's name is Billy. It would be like naming me Tilly and <laughs> thinking that that's cool <laughs> and thinking that that's a good idea. Like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> You can't just change a fucking letter and have that be okay. I know some people also inherit names and it's like a family thing, but there's nothing that leads me to believe that anyone so, else in this world is named Waxillium even to begin with. And I don't think that anyone was named Maxillium before this what moment. His father and they was thought Maxillium. it was cool and hip and trendy. We don't know <laughs> Wayne's fa- Wax's father's name, so you could, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. It's a family name. I don't like it. I don't like it. How many drinks um, do we have now? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> it's probably three. Cheers. Anyway, Tin Will's great. I mean, like, makes sense. It, it's a logical yeah. name to happen and a classical name. And it's like, cool. Honoring the history. Totally get it. it so that, it, like, that actually, though, I want to mm-hmm. bring that up. Within the, the terrorist people, Tindwell was kind of an outcast. She, she was kind of a rebel. Like, she... she actively went against the synod's requests and and only at the end did she actively do it but only at the end but that's when it's important right right yeah yeah yeah. i agree but 
So does this say that the the, the terrorist people have accepted Tindwell like the rest of Allendale has? Or does that not that, really matter? I don't think we have that answer yet. I, I, I like okay. I like where your head's at, but I don't know that we get the answer here at the very least. And I think that's a really good question because in the same degree, like Sazed was a rebel, was rebellious, and saved the world by being a rebel. But the society that we see of terrorist people, terrorist men, is really isolationist still. Like, not a whole lot has changed from the foundational days, to some degree, within the terrorist people. So far as we're made aware of the couple of sects that we know. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a great question. We just I'm don't have going an to look out for that going forward. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Did you have any other thoughts on the children in general or the fact that we've introduced a family into the story and what that looks like? I, I know that I sidetracked to talk about Max's bad last name or bad back half of his name. But so I don't obviously, you know, my exposure and anybody that's been listening to us from from the beginning of Mistborn knows my exposure to Brandon Sanderson's work has been strictly Mistborn and elantris uh, elantris <laughs> and now like half of or three quarters of warbreaker at this point but this is the first time we're really intimately introduced to children other than elantris's like serini's nephews and nieces like those are the, the only other like actual children that we interact with so it's clear to me i think that brandon has been wanting to write like real interaction with children because he has several of his own and he has a lot of experience there a lot of a lot to draw from so it it felt very natural the way that it that it reads yeah i i really adored when i heard it for the first time when little max comes on and also has his list and has cat picture and then dog picture I did giggle like it was it yeah. was very like innocent humor, but it was so sweet and heartfelt. And I think I agree with you. I think that, you know, I, I think that Brandon captured that well, whether or not that's representative for a five year old's capabilities. Yeah, that's in and outside of the question. I think to me, it's a question of like, did it work? I think it worked. Yeah. And I yeah. think so. I think I've got cousins yeah. that are around that age. I had cousins that were that age and siblings when I was old enough to well, do I don't change their shit. So 13 years ago puts me at 15. Yeah. Yeah, I had siblings that were, yeah, I was 15 when Claire was five. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that I could, I could confidently say for Ryan or 13, I was, that she was doing stuff like that. And for Corbin, he had a speech impediment. So it was a little bit different or a speech problem. So it was a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. You know, know. it's all good. Like nothing, nothing wrong with them, obviously. But it didn't, it didn't strike me as like a a particularly Mm. like gifted five-year-old, you know? No. Right. Yeah. I would agree. 
Cool. So as we move from the family scene here that happens, we move into the Senate hearing and we've made it successfully into a larger political sphere in this universe. Finally. And I fucking love it. This is so well executed. Like I really enjoy. Obviously, I've, I've said before, my favorite Mistborn era one book is Well of Ascension by a country mile after Secret History ruined Hero of Ages for me. <laughs> well of Ascension by Country Mile because of some of the political stuff. And he's, he's like teasing at some of this stuff and he's getting there and i like the the sidle moves but this is what i wanted out of those scenes this is like the the like shake me by the shirt sort of political stuff that i wanted and i love it it's got such a great setup even from earlier segments in era one i mean like it it just harkens back to some of those moments even with some of the names being shared from era one houses also makes it kind of feel the fun and grounded but fuck i love it and i love how wax approaches it it Almost has this aura of Phoenix Wright kind of like shouting down and like pointing and the sort of, you know, like ridiculous versions of lawyers in court. I kind of get from Wax's speech here, which is I think it's fun. It is fun. And like, is it clear that I love this book? (laughs) You you and I maybe unsurprisingly have pretty similar tastes. Mm -hmm. Like, Why did you get me into doing this? Because you and I share a love of most of media so like i i think i agree with you on the on the point about well of ascension on a po- on the point about like this political stuff i was sharing with you halfway through or like not even halfway through it was like 10 chapters into warbreaker how much i loved it because of how much it reminded me of elantris and all the political stuff that was going on like of yeah. course i love this scene <laughs> it's great yeah. we mm-hmm. get another name drop of michelle Yes, the veteran of the show, which was great. Who's a properly anyway, properly like named. Oh, you did. Great. Yeah, perfect. Like proper Lord or is she referred to as a lady or a Lord? I can't remember. Whatever. She was referred to as a lady, but I believe that she was. She's a Senate correctly. Senate seat. Senate seat. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I I'd like to agree with you on the Phoenix Wright thing. My exposure to Phoenix Wright is strictly memes. Ah, so like it lines up with that, but I don't know if that's indicative, but it sounds like it is. So cool. Yeah, I I think it's fun to phrase it this way. So I'm going to do it, even though Twitter isn't dead or anything like that. But do you remember? I I don't know how much time you spent on Twitter, but there was a popular feature where you could tweet at a bot and it would create a Phoenix Wright interrogation scene out of a thread where people are arguing and it would turn it into a gif with the dotted text underneath it was one of my favorite things that existed on twitter basically it was an unroll into phoenix wright court scene and it was always the funniest shit i loved it i love that degeneracy it was some of my favorite stuff i i wish i felt comfortable just publicly sharing things myself (laughs) I never did, so I never mm-hmm. really used Twitter very much. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I I feel that. I feel that. And I I got I got skittish of it at one point, deleted it, and then re-signed up with a new account because I just wanted to get rid of everything that existed from before I was 20, you know? Like I was like I, none of that is any good either like i was tweeting lyrics because i was sad you know there are all kinds of other things. This is devil's gun material for sure. But like you know, you know like I I don't know. Anyway, I just it was one of my favorite parts of Twitter and remains to this day. 
in does a year when does, Twitter is doesn't the bot exist. Still active? Yeah, the bot still functions. It's it is it is an an approved bot. It's it's a flagged bot intentional, which is the thing mm-hmm. that they've had on the platform for like the last year or so. You could declare an account a bot intentionally so that they knew that it was a bot doing specific actions and specific things, and then it would have basically an account icon that was a little robot that would explain to everyone that it was a bot in some way shape or form. So for instance, gotcha. we could have turned a lot of people do this, but you could turn like a lyric page into a bot page where it just automatically post quotes or whatever for the most part or like lyrics or whatever. We could have done Yeah. That. We could have done that. So, yeah. It's, anyway. It's, yep. Anyway. <laughs> the secret of our Twitter account will remain that way until we decide to say otherwise. We've said it publicly <laughs> before. Did we? I think we I feel like we held it out. I think we maybe we, maybe, and, maybe we have to the Patreon. Maybe. Yeah. We may have explained that whole full story. Well, maybe that's the next devil's cut. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) If you want to know the full story behind our Twitter, subscribe on Patreon. What are you doing? Come on. All right. To to kind of get close to the end of this chapter here, what do you make of the other political actors in the scene between Governor Varlance and Lieutenant Governor Attawathwin, as well as the concerns that are going on regarding the roughs and outer cities? I mean, Wax has hunches and they tend to be right so i'm pretty inclined to like believe him and agree with him mm-hmm. that like there's there's something suspicious about atawathwin atawathwin did i say yeah. that per- correctly yeah as far as varlins goes though and being kind of a just public figurehead as it were yeah it sucks shit sucks and we should overthrow all government I mean, especially compared to Aridel, you know, like Aridel, like was this could not possibly be an Alamancer because he didn't have any of the blood in him that could have like had no terrorist capabilities and made a great leader. He was in a really unique position and everyone acknowledges it as such, it seems. And now Varlance is a different breed. So, yeah, very different. I did want to bring up. I don't remember if I told you this during Secret History. Did I tell you that you were right about Breton being replaced? By Akandra? Yeah. No. No. Okay. I eliminated... I'm going to take the drink for it in a second here for the prediction because I, I removed the prediction, I think, at some point. But I remembered that it was there and I was reminded by a different patron to ask if I had ever brought it up and I hadn't. It It is not textually confirmed, but it was confirmed in a word of Brandon and it feels appropriate because I know that it doesn't pay off to just pay it off now. It was Tensoon that was imitating him when he was acting strangely in those moments and if there were ever a secret history too it feels very clear that that would probably be something that's explained so yeah that would make sense that's yeah awesome but he does behave strangely and you were totally correct you were 100 percent correct on your prediction everybody pointed out how he's reason. behaving strangely <laughs> like <laughs> yeah right right logically yep. it works out cool all right yeah i i love this scene with the vote especially in with adawathwin pulling the strings to sort of hide what happened i i think is huge or rather to to continue with the vote and like not make the whole thing canceled as wax wished right is just this juicy bit of politics yeah yeah that's a that felt like a canned prepared plan yeah plan b ripcord yeah Mm mm-hmm Oh, yes. We're totally anti-corruption, so they won't get to vote. But all of the impact of all of their money and anything else that's gone in. No, we're not going to look at that right now. We'll we'll consider it later. We got to get this vote done. It's just like, what? 
what? Okay. If you say so. Cool. I fucking love this chapter. I love this book. Okay. Rounding out chapter two, though, is the first broadsheet. Did anything on this broadsheet catch your eye? This is one of the broadsheets that was available at Dragonsteel, by the way, if you would have collected them. Um, I never... This is one of the four. Never got the opportunity to get any clips. Hmm. So... You know how you got clips? We didn't no. really have time to do this. You go to the booths and they give you clips. All of the, like, booths in the exhibit hall. I and mean, we never mm. really stopped and asked or did anything, but we were supposed to get them on purchase. We did from Michelle at the 17th Shard for oh, doing yeah. the pins. Mm-hmm. Not that enough to buy a broadsheet. <laughs> no, I think so. you gave me yours because you're like, I'm not going to hang on to this. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna lose it yeah oh uh-huh. so yep i think yep, i've got 10 it. clips or 12 clips or something like that so yep rich man over here anyway what would you make of the broadsheet what do you think of the broadsheet anything so, shout out so you? the biggest thing that caught my eye was the comment about the neighbors to the south bringing war mm-hmm. and it felt just so i mean what what else is this but propaganda you know so and yeah. but this really leans into it and th- this feels like direct like warmongering to a certain degree this truly feels like yellow papers at its worst this this is becoming like the previous ones kind of felt like memes of yellow papers like they felt like derivative versions to some degree this feels like it actually is purpose yeah i i I've said it at the top of the episode. I'll say it again. I probably won't shut up about it for each and every one of these episodes. But to me, this either reads as Brandon having high intent for what he wanted this book to really go out with like a serious bang. And like maybe he wasn't taking the other two middle books in the series as seriously as he wished to. Or this is an editor's touch. And it's it's impossible almost for us to discern the difference. So I guess the way to kind of read into that for yourself based on a comment also from that like release party speech mm-hmm. that he gave that this is more of like, this is a direct tie in with alloy of law. Yes. And, yeah. And, and the middle two books are direct tie-ins with each other. And that's yeah. how this like quartet works. They're more like pairings. So for anyone who hasn't listened, what Brandon did inside of the speech, highly recommended. It was it was great. And it was really kind of a, a great exposition of what a writing process looks like in world building and kind of his life up until this point. And I think if if anything else, one of the things that I appreciate the most about Brandon Sanderson is how transparent he is with his process and what he does. You know, I, I think that that's excellent. And I, I really appreciate that. Even if I can be really harsh on a novella, I appreciate everything else he does or two novellas. There's another one that I don't exactly like. It's fine. But that was a big takeaway for me and something that you literally turned to me and elbowed me in in the moment <laughs> when you'd said it because you're like, oh, we got another thing to talk about because I'd always been making the jokes of it being a single book and then a trilogy because that's what he had said up until that point. But now he's like, now that it's done, it feels like two duologies, but the duologies are the inside and the outside books, which is fascinating, I think, to to think about. It's it's all a part of the same continuity, of course, but they're they're paired very differently because of the way that they were written. You know, Alloy of Law was written on its own, Lost Metal was written on its own, and Shadows of Self and Bands of Mourning were written hand in hand. So they've got different approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess where I was going with that was does that seem to give some insight into any of this so far 
I don't know if it does with the broadsheet necessarily, but I see what you're saying. I, I feel like this goes into the, the gloves off comment more than anything okay. else, which also feels good. I'm not going to, obviously we can't talk about the results of things without you getting there and I'm not going to even touch on them. It's, it's interesting for you to also know that the gloves are off. Let it be known that like you had an expectation set to some degree that there's, there are connections. I had brought up previously that it was a fear to some degree because we haven't covered them yet. We haven't talked about things regardless. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was truly like concerning for me when he said that was like, am I going, are, are we going to have to delay this? So I can read the others first. Or like, and I what, settled what was on the no. process going to be? <laughs> yeah, I settled on no. And I, I think that in part I settled on no because I think it will be an interesting thing to consider this as just a series for the most part. With the, the exceptions by the end of this of Elantris and of Warbreaker by the time you know we're done with this book you'll be done with warbreaker as well so yeah and then we'll begin the 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 four solo novels and whatnot next year but anyway kind of getting back to the core thing here at the top when he was saying the gloves are off to me that also felt like a moment in which he was also like taking the gloves off in this context also feels like committing to the best version of what he wants to write and not holding himself back in any way, shape and form. And so I, I think that that also has the potential to just yield a better written book because he doesn't need to be so closeted about some things that he wants to talk about more actively. So that's my other thought with some of this mm-hmm. is it is it's like I can be more direct now. I don't need to be so abject about some of these things. So, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense that was, to me. That was my thought. So for me, that also plays into the seriousness of the broadsheet. It, it kind of changes in tone. But it still keeps some some fun stuff, right? Like, there's the, the whole story that happens with the two Chondra talking about merging. <laughs> I don't... I listened to that part so many times. I listened to this broadsheet so many times because I thought that was always so funny in the way that it was delivered because it's the only time that I heard in this entire book where... It used two audio tracks at once to like overlay and create the sound of Michael Kramer's voice saying merge in two different accents to become one. It was so cool. It was just so weird and fun. I loved it. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Yeah, it was neat. I I just I liked it. It was it was super cool. But yeah, obviously that doesn't happen. People, the the Coloss and the I don't think it's a Coloss. I think it was when you're human. The Coloss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two two Chondra can't merge like that maybe they could why not maybe yeah who knows these all right, are right get, sometimes yeah it's true they they <laughs> could predict a number of things getting into chapter three here we move back from our political tension scene to Maracy and wayne chasing down their lead and again wayne comes out swinging with another dose of his humor relating to women being mysterious and maybe not of this planet or what was what was the bit was it not normal people yeah i think yeah, it's women it, aren't normal it. people and Maracy's <laughs> well, like well first off <laughs> it it wasn't that they weren't normal people but he was talking about the distinction between women and normal people. Yes. Men. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Im- implied. <laughs> right. And, and that was, that was Marisi's way of taking it down. And quickly Marisi puts him in his place. Like we'd kind of spoken about before. I, I just really liked this exchange because it has that feeling of camaraderie and companionship. And it does get to what you were saying earlier, where it, it feels like there is this, 
temperance finally for Wayne, where he's got some pushback on things. He can't just run roughshod. And I think that's good. I think it's great. I think it's well executed and lends a sense of realness to this whole story that otherwise skated near caricature. And I think it makes for better jokes. Yeah, right. Like, I, I think the jokes hit harder when you actually have feedback on them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, As a find reader, them funny, yeah. like isolated, find them funny or not. The context makes it really funny. The conversation is funny. Like the right, fact that Maris exactly. has to take this down to begin with is is humorous in some way. And the way that she approached like it's all it's all good. Yeah. 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 I, this this duo hits so hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Way better. Like Wax and Wayne feel like a a like a a sheriff and a deputy, right? Maracy and Wayne feel like a a, a buddy cop comedy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they totally do by comparison. Like it's it's very it's very different, but it it feels better in a lot of ways. And I think they I also think that they kind of make a better pair as such. You know, more more to explore there, of course, because we don't have a full story under our belts yet. But I it, I like the pairing quite a bit. I do too. And of course, we're reminded of the mission here. This is a part one after all, and so it does have to catch us up on some of the stuff in the previous book. Although I will say, again, I think this does not better than any of the previous books. It buries and submerges a lot of the like reminders of Allomancy and stuff like that by just making it very clear. The only thing that it spends a little bit of time on a little bit later is the Allomantic Cube. Just as a reminder, because it was complex to begin with and reminds us of some of the technicalities there because it becomes important. But we're reminded of the mission, tracking down Trell, this foreign god whom is potentially as powerful as Harmony himself. Wayne notices as they're sneaking around that one of the guards has a nearly unbeatable hand, a survivor's suite, which is just like such a great little nod. I mean, to be like the top hand in its own right, like a royal flush. Good for you, Kelsier. Yeah, you're somewhere out there. Fuck. That's got to be it, right? It's got to be basically a royal flush. Yeah, I assume the the equivalent. Yeah, but uh, going back to something you said before, nobody is as powerful as Harmony Crossland. How silly of you to say that! <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm gonna drink. <laughs> yeah, sure. Nobody's as powerful as Harmony. I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A semi-sidebar. A short one. A brief one. I think I spoiled something inside of our our secret history chat. Not something crazy, but I think I spoiled something small <laughs> for one of our listeners. And maybe a couple more than one, but... Um, What'd you say? Specifically about Andal Nauseam. Hmm. We talked about that before. We had, because it had textually come up at least once before Secret History. So, Okay. Hmm. I don't remember saying anything specific about it during that chat. No. That's ideal. We're going to leave that there. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, I do a lot of smile and nodding on this show, if you can't tell. That's fair. No, I'm very aware. It, it comes cl- it comes through so clearly in the edit, all of the smiles and nods and mm-hmms that we both do. Okay. So, anyway, moving on from there. I, I, I just love that moment where he's like, he's got a perfect hand and no one's going to appreciate it. There's not enough money on this game. Like, it's just kind of, it's, it is another moment that makes Wayne feel like a whole character. It's, it's just great. I mean, okay, so I hadn't even put together that this is probably the moment that made Wayne want to play cards. 
later yes on. entirely yeah he's okay. like i want to jump in and play cards with these guys which is why that happens later it's so good yeah. <laughs> he's like oh they know how to play cards like they're playing cards right now i'll ju- i'd love to jump in and play a hand with that guy you know like mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a perfect callback i don't know i love it okay it's just, it's it's so good but we also we're inside of Maracy's perspective and we get all these small details about the set which again catch people up on the entire idea but also gives us new information at the same time which is something relatively new you know within these sections is not only refreshing us on old information but adding context which is that of a cycle of which we know miles to be kind of in the past now attributed that he is a cycle as a part of the set and how this whole thing is built around cards for the most part and different hands and of course the scene ends with wayne explaining one of his famous trades with a half meat bun and then agreeing to jump into his plan because Marisi's plan of sneaking around to make this sort of abduction and stealth action happen isn't going to work. So, I mean, we got to break down half meat bun, right? Half meat bun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The half meat bun trade. That's absurd. It's iconic Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But something that had been on my mind for a while since our live show was when Ziva brought up that all of the names of the set could have been derived from mathematical terms. The suit was like the one kind of holdout from that, but the others would have fit into that pattern. But this kind of breaks that more definitively cycle specifically. Yeah. I mean, a cycle is also could be referred to as a set or a series, which is funny, but you know, or, I mean, or if you're talking about, like, card games, cycling. No, a- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that as a concept. I think I think that it's more in line with cards. But I, it's not that it's entirely out with numbers, and cards are numbers anyway. So it's all it's all a numbers True. game as is. So, But, it, I mean, it makes this, sense this, that it's... This is what solidified my sort of... It's cards, yeah. Yeah. To be fair... I wanted to be I, math, though. <laughs> believe when I was sitting in the spoiler stream, Brandon confirmed that it was cards. Um, mm-hmm. So it was shortly after, yeah, that point when I was sitting there alone. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wasn't sitting there alone. Mac was behind me. But as it goes. Hi, Mac. So, hi, Mac. Yeah, it's just it's just so good. It's so good. And the half meat bun, man. Like, they're, they're going to jump into action. He's like, I tried a half meat bun. Oh, Wayne. At least different moments. Okay, with that, we go into chapter four, and then we get a lovely fight, of course, and while we're fighting, we get our usual catch-up on mechanics with the Almantic Grenade and some of its impressive uses, including storing the time bubble that she can throw behind to isolate some people out of time. On top of that, we also begin to see Alec, that the relationship with Alec has only grown in importance to Marisi and is also a connection to the Malwish. So there's, there's a couple of different components that happen in this moment before, you know, the scene erupts into battle necessarily but you know what'd you think well what do you what a what a, what a... so i i just had a, a strange look on my face because i just took another sip of this beer and it has opened up beautifully <laughs> i only have sludge at the bottom of my drink like just residual goo it's so gross anyway what i what i appreciate about all of this is that there is a great deal of relationship building between Marisi and Alec mm-hmm. in this scene. And it happens in conversations between Marisi and Wayne. Like it's almost more relationship building than a lot of the 
previous six books. I feel like like th- this feels like a much more solid relationship than any of the other relationships that we had in this amount of time. And I, I mean, I found it to be really neat and maybe it's another sort of artifact of the difference in editing. Maybe it's in evolution in the writing, whatever it is, it feels very real. I'll give it a second place to Steris and wax, but I agree with you. It does feel very real. It Steris feels very and- tangible. Yes, but I'm going to give that a yes, but because for the first two or three books, the first two books, Steris and Wax weren't anything. The first book, they definitely weren't. The second book, she was trying, but he didn't recognize what trying looked like and he was still traumatically grieving. And the third book, it like comes online. So, yeah. Uh, Okay. I'll concede that. Yeah, that's fine. That's basically the arc. I mean, you know. Mm hmm. But that's a good relationship over time. Like, we get a dynamic as it improves and increases. So, like, it feels like it's an arc, you know? In its and that's own like right. 1,200 pages. Yeah, but it's only like 1,600 words or 1,600,000 words. Yeah. 160,000 words. Yeah, okay. There we go. 1.6 million words. 1.6 million words. The first three books of Stormlight Archive are about that long, but yep. They're all right there. Uh-huh. Really big now, really big chunky now boys. I might not actually have to read them. No, we're gonna read them eventually. It's not it's not a they're off the table thing. It's it's a we're not gonna no, read I know. them right I now. Know. I'm fucking with you. I know. I just I feel better approaching theme when I know what the end result is and I feel like I can talk to something effectively and digest it versus Ooh, on the fly. However, I've nailed at least one series so far, so we'll we'll figure that out. But which one is it? Okay, cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do really love Alec and Marisy's relationship, though. Like, I think that it is a, it's, it's, it did happen ultimately off screen, but it does feel very natural in the way that it's brought up, and it feels like a natural conclusion. And it also is perhaps the least forced by the text, if that makes sense. Like, it is, like everything else felt like an ob- like I don't want to say an obvious pairing, but felt like the story was going to lead into them having a relationship. And Alec feels like the most tangential character to have a relationship with, and that feels great. Um, mm-hmm. I know that people had like brought up potentially in the fandom with a time skip the relationship between Marisy and Reddy potentially happening, but that would have felt a little on the nose for like lovers to rival or rivals to lovers. You know what I mean? Versus like this is. This feels like it's going to be a very interesting dynamic when it comes to more strained tensions between the two nations. Yeah, right. Like, right. And that's another trope entirely, obviously. Right. But it sets up a really great background for these characters and that setting really, really, really well. Yeah, totally. It, it gives us a lot of fuel on that fire, which I think is great. There's a little note here as well inside of the scene about Wayne being more frugal with his bend alloy, like he's actually adapting and listening to rules since the switch to being legit constables. What do you think about this head turn for Wayne and like his sudden sort of shift in in responsibility and a little bit less on the side of shenanigans and a little bit more? I mean, not entirely away. He doesn't entirely get rid of them, but he's reduced at the very least. So you call it a head turn, but I don't think I would. I think it makes entire sense. And I, I think it stays within sort of what we know about Wayne. And that's that he'll kind of live within whatever domain he finds himself in. 
with wax, he had essentially unlimited funds and was like, and no oversight into his bend alloy. So like, why would he constrain when and where he uses it? And but now, he did continue to abuse it when he was in the constable's office post wax. So it's like he did have an adjustment he, period. He didn't just like fall in line. Well, it's an adjustment. Well, of course. I mean, there's habits to break. Right. That, that's just kind of human nature to begin with. But now it's like a, sure. a dedicated allocation. Like an explicit allocation. And that, that necessit- necessitates frugality and, and using it sparingly. Yeah, I I feel like the sentiment oftentimes is that Wayne is this like chaotic character and and, like he presents himself that way. But I feel like he really is a rigid, structured character with an off kilter rule set. Yeah, I, I think that we've made the statement that he's like lawful chaotic and we feel like he's just looking at the whole chart sideways to some degree. But it's like lawful chaotic good because he does have a rule set, but he does behave. There's a good chance that he's lawful good, right? I or think lawful he's lawful neutral. good. There's a good chance that he's he's lawful good or lawful neutral, but he... I don't think even neutral. I, I think he's a lawful good character with 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 sort of a chaotic presentation yeah his Um, yeah right right yeah like he he has a very very rigid rule set that he follows Mm -hmm. given the trading given like all of his antic not using guns you know for a long time yeah like it is so regimented and so rigid but it's just not copacetic with the rest of society it's not conventional yeah. Yeah, it's not conventional and it, it comes across as chaotic. And I, I, I think truly that he's just a strictly lawful good character at this point. Yeah, I I can see that. Okay. I I think I can agree with that for the most part. I, I do feel I do still feel like given Marcy's perspective, she thinks it's a little bit of a head turn because she sees sort of the Yeah debaucherous isn't the right word because it's not the way that he's using it but sort of the the sort of ridiculous ways that he's going about things and doing things and chaotic patterns and everything else she doesn't see anything from it and so believes that they're non-productive it's just a different different matter of things i i do like the read of lawful good i think that tracks it's interesting how you can have someone be lawful good but not necessarily be a paladin right like that's most paladins obviously fall on the lawful side of things, but specifically, more often than not, more people depict lawful good paladins. And it's interesting to have a lawful good character not be a paladin of virtue necessarily. So I sorry to bring this all the way back to the prologue. Right now. <laughs> yeah, sure. But it ties in. It, it like mm-hmm. trust me, it ties in. His mom like one of his last conversations with his mom is about how stealing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Is that when he adopts trading? Because I don't think he traded for the deck of cards that she found on the, on the table. No. Yeah. He he just stole those for sure. He he just stole those. Is that the the last moment that he steals quote unquote something? And then like there's a good chance uses that like last interaction with his mother as a reason for going forward with this sort of trading sentiment. I think that's the idea. Yeah, I I think that 
if if it were me and talking about the prologue again, right, I do think that there is that advice not to steal. And at the same time, he's already building those equations. Like I was saying, the X plus like X and Y equals Z. So like get rid of X and then Z won't happen. Duh. You know, if I don't have a bed, miss rates can't get me. So I'm going to sleep on the bedroll. Like, and so mm-hmm. I think he just applied that to, okay, if I don't steal, I have to do something else. What do I do? I trade. And so I right. give them something whenever I take something. So then it's a give and a take. Like, you got something. Why are you upset? It's a very childish, you know, uh, equation to still be carrying along with them forever. But you can see the foundations of that character in those moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for the the divergence. No, I, I think that's I think it's a worthy divergence in dialogue. So they do have this brief conversation about talking about shots and counting, and like Wayne's like, I can't count that high. He's, she's like, I've I've seen you count that high when you take shots, and I feel like we have to take a drink for that for Wayne's sake because it's a great joke. Again, great humor at Wayne about Wayne, not Wayne making a joke, which is excellent. Exactly. Good stuff. So we end the chapter with them splitting Wayne to take care of the remaining men and for Marisi to chase after the cycle. After they've dispatched a couple, they reduce the total numbers. You know, they do their usual shindig of breaking people's knees with sticks and, you know, everything else that happens. But again, it all happens very quickly. I think this chapter is on Kindle six pages. <laughs> like, Do you want to know what the most effective thing to do when you're going into like an obvious fight scene? Split no. the party. I mean, yes, but what? <laughs> Split the party? <laughs> the most obvious thing to do no, all no, of the, the time. Best thing to do. The best thing to do all of the time when confronted with any obstacle is to tackle it individually. <laughs> like that's, that's the way that it goes in horror movies, in action movies. Let's split up and deal with it. Scooby Doo this shit, but. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> totally. I I really I just I li- I like PJ. Did you know that I like this book? Did you uh, I like this book. Okay, cool. All right. Neat. So we go to chapter 5. And we go back to Wax, defeated with the Outer City's bill having passed. It's interesting to me here, though, that Wax finally has come to terms with something that Marisi had considered in the past, that he can do more good this way by being a politician than by being an individual lawman because the stakes are significantly higher. He then shares a brief conversation with Steris after kind of talking about this inside of his internal monologue, and this bond is so real and genuine that it just it warms my heart, man. Like, it's, it's so cool to see the post of this relationship now having been formed and we we saw the beginnings as it happened over the course of three books but to see the result is just excellent yeah and to me at least there's also like a great deal of personal growth for wax that we see here mm-hmm. he still has that drive and fervor that he had as a lawman and and the intensity and and like his his desire to be intimidating, which he leans into the showmanship of it of it all. But there's a there's a grace that he's adopted when he's on the losing side of things. He he doesn't jump into well, I'm not I'm not it's not going my way, so let's just blast him to smithereens. That we would have come to have expected from Wayne or from from Wax in, in his Lyman days. That's that's been 
suppressed a little bit. Like there's, there's some lingering internal feelings that we're in his perspective. We, we know what he's thinking and we know like when he's, when he's thinking about like pulling his gun, but he overall holds himself level in a way that I don't think he would have been capable of before all of this happening. Right. Yeah. He definitely, he's grown, you know, and and I think I, I think I make this comment later a little bit, but it feels like wax has completed his arc to some degree at this point in the story. Like he has exposed himself to all of that growth. And this does kind of feel like the end result to some degree of that. It does almost feel like a passing of the torch. Mm -hmm. Like, like, this is this is Wax's sunset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that does because he's passed the torch or he's like taken up the torch or depends on which way you look at it. Like we've he's had he this conversation the before Crossland. What? We've had this conversation before. Which not one? With this Wait, series. What? Oh. Oh, yeah, right. Yep. We've had exactly uh, this conversation. Well, and I, I think that's a part of, like, any story that involves generational growth, right? Or, like, generational change is that there is a passing torch, naturally. What horrors are we going to be exposed to if we follow the same path that we did in the previous <laughs> book series? <laughs> to us talking about, yeah, it feels like everything's wrapping up with this guy. <laughs> Oh, buddy, <laughs> you've been traumatized. All right. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. Have I been wrongly traumatized? <laughs> I, <laughs> great, great question. That's that's interesting. No, I, I just meant it as more of like a, he, he's passed the torch on of lawmanship, right? Like is kind of what I was trying to get at after you mentioned I know, passing I know the torch it, and like I, moving on. I know, but, but in general, it, it feels yeah. like, when I said a sunsetting, like it genuinely yeah. feels like, He's fallen into a quiet career as a politician. Quieter, yeah. Quieter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's still... No, I, I just mean that it's much yeah. quieter than being a lawman, you know, and it's not as risky right. for his life. I mean, it's still that, a public That feels like a good way for him to retire, because you know he's yeah. not going to rest in general. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 But... Wax can never be left alone well enough at any different individual moment and is presented with a small envelope on his desk with a small note and a Pathian earring from Harmony, one that says that he'll have to make a second one once the proper metal arrives. Curious, what metals do you think he's talking about? Or what metal, rather? So, there are a couple hints, specifically between, I think, Reddy and... Marisy. And also the title of the fucking book talking about the lost metal and ATM. And I'm assuming that this metal that we're talking about is ATM. So that's where that's where I'm at. Like okay. I, it's re- it is ready, right? When she brings the trellium spike and he says, Is this the ATM we've been looking for? I think he makes the assumption that it's ATM. But I don't know that that's specifically what's said. He says it yeah. out loud. He does. He does specifically say ATM, but it's it's not quite in that phrasing. Not not that phrasing. And but. and also, I think Marisy doesn't believe that it's ATM. No, I know. So the spike is trillion. Yeah. Very. Or what? Whatever. Whatever other. Assuming it's trillion, though, is on the minds of people, and I think is also on the mind of Harmony. 
And I think that's what's being referred to here. And I think that's also, is, is it even ever confirmed? No, previous book talks about the lost metal being ATM. So like this book is about ATM based on the title. So that's what I'm assuming. Is it? I think, I think it's, I think it's said that the lost metal ATM somewhere in, in the bands of mourning. So I think it's in shadows of self, but okay. yes, yeah, that it is, it is titled as such at that point. Do you think that's the lost metal? Yes. <laughs> Why would it not be? I don't know what else could be the lost metal, PJ. Lurassium? Could Lurassium? Trellium? Could be a lost metal? I'm well, Trellium was there some found. other metal? Fair? So it can't be lost. Dang. We'll see. We'll see, won't we? we? Shall. Yeah. We shall. So your prediction is, though, that it's ATM. My, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. That makes sense. There's this line that happens after they're discussing the Pathian earring that shows up in the envelope that I think is just so wonderful. If you somehow hadn't read the other three books in the series and you just jumped in here, the the line, he and God had history, is just so good. It's so good from like a blunt force trauma kind of thing with like, oh, by the way, if you didn't know, like I talked to God or I've talked to God and we, we've got like, we've got some beef. <laughs> we, got, we got beef. It's, it's just so good. It's it so it does so many things. It's mm-hmm. comedic. Mm-hmm. It's telling. It is well. So okay. So I guess it's There's comedic, so much and then it's telling. It's telling of Wax's character. Hmm. It's telling of Harmony's character. It's telling of the way this world technically works. Mm-hmm. You know. So it communicates a lot in what five words. <laughs> like yeah yeah it's 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 a perfect sentence <laughs> like I, I don't know <laughs> i have no beef i i think it's great it's yeah i, I again just like a, a wonderful representation to be like hey gods are real not only that but like god and i got into like a bit of a beef over a girl that he made me kill and also like okay he kind of revived me it was cool all right like we're good there's a lot of different moments like that inside of this one phrase yeah it does seem like he's still a little abrasive towards harmony though yeah he's he's still a pathian i think at heart for all intents and purposes it it feels but at the same like he believes in that religion he believes in a lot of the kind of the core values still like that hasn't left him necessarily even though he's kind of left the religion behind to some degree like if you were excommunicated from a religion, you might hold on to the moral values of the religion still because it's what you were trained in. It's your, you know, it's what's ingrained in you to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. And so he still holds on to those things, but he isn't a strict Pathian anymore, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he hangs on to it still, but he does still kind of he's kind of beefing again. Like I'm I'm going back to beefing. He's still he's better with with harmony, but he still has questions. So at the end of this, though, of course, they're exiting and they're about to like head out. And Max walks up and starts to speak in a Wayneish accent to Wax before Hoyd opens the carriage door. And while I figure we got to chat about Hoyt for a second, I want to just wrap up the end of this chapter because it all happens within like a page. So fuck me. Let me finish the statement. But before that, to end the chapter, Max and Wax take off into the sky for a little ride above the clouds at the child's request. That uh, was very cute. Yeah, that was really, cute. really cutely done. 
I love the harness. I love everything about it. Safety is a priority. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so this is a five-year-old. Like, this is Mm -hmm. a not baby. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I want to know the, like, how rigorously this harness was created. Like, you know, I'm trying to envision how it looks and all I'm thinking is baby Bjorn, but on your back. And I don't like, I'm sure that's kind of essentially what it is, but it's gotta be a little bit more robust than that. Especially considering how, like how free he is to move and like throw things. And like, he's got full like motion of his arm. Like, is it a backpack? Is it a, is it basically a backpack? But he's it's the, the Yoda backpack. backpack. Come on, it's yeah. the Yoda okay. backpack. That's exactly what it is. I, I agree with you. I understand that. My thought is, it's super funny that you had that thought for for realism's sake. My thought was more, okay, my brain can clear people with alimantic capabilities being able to take G force because their body chemistry adjusts them for it in the long run. Sure, I can work that out and as like a magical equation in my own head to ground this. To some degree, like the equal and opposite forces and launching and like the pressure that your body would be through as you push off of something substantial as an alamancer. Holding on to a child, though, I, I have to like you don't have any of the bi- <laughs> the biochemical magical adjustments on you. <laughs> so that was just my my first instinct was more like, hmm, science might say that this was a bad idea <laughs> in the long run. Well, I mean, this whole science like this whole magic system is built around like being so well rooted in the way that it's written that i assumed that the g forces of it were not substantial negligible probably but like i couldn't help but think about it at some point that it would be so easy to like overshoot it and overdo it it, and it's not the iron man problem but you were right you were kind of getting there that is kind of where I was leaning, not not yeah. to the Iron Man issue, but as close as possible, yeah, within the fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not yeah, saying he's sense. turning into gelatin on the inside because of the G-Force, but, <laughs> you know, I have to think that maybe the brain hit the wall a little bit too hard. Fuck the Avengers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the Joss Whedon Avengers, specifically, if we're getting into it. Okay. Yeah, but Hoyd. <laughs> Let's talk but about Coachman Hoyd. Hoyd. Let's yeah. talk about Hoyd. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. Why in the hell? <laughs> you and I had an entire phone call about this before you left for your vacation. So while I, like, <laughs> it was while I was driving to Iowa. Uh huh. You called or I called. You this back. just doesn't other. track with me. Like I could, I could give myself the benefit of the doubt or give, give this book the benefit of the doubt about like wax doesn't recognize Hoyd because he was such a short lived court coachman in bands of morning specifically in bands of morning in, in bands of morning when he, when he's the beggar and he gives him the coin with the same fucking name. First of all, whatever this doesn't make sense to just suddenly go forward with having another coachman who's the same guy that was already a coachman who is also the beggar who is hoyd to go unrecognized like i I don't get it so i i I think that it's fair to say 
that Shadows of Self Hoid, which is the coachman, I believe it's Shadows of Self, is the same as this Hoid. I think that there's a disguise that Hoid adopts in... But he uses his name. What's up? He uses his name. He does. But could Hoid be maybe a kind of... A not crazy abnormal name. We've never met anyone else named Hoyd, so like it's you know not not something that I can firmly say. You know, versus like Tindwill is based in history, but we know from the intro of Alloy of Law Mm -hmm. that Wax is pretty darn good with picking out physical characteristics of people and recognizing them. Mm -hmm. What up? What up? Fair. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. Yeah, I agree with you. If there's any single plot hole in this book that I my brain picked up when I read this the first time, I was like, huh, PJ's immediately going to beef with that. <laughs> like, that was my first thought. And then thought. I called I like, you about it. Yeah. And then when you read it, you called me about it. And I was like, I'm not shocked. I predicted this. <laughs> I immediately called you. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, you were, especially if you think about it too hard and close. Yeah, that's a little too, too on the nose, too little. Yeah. When we talk about, Talking we about know Hoyt. contextually that Hoyt witnessed with Chris and Nosh the death of the the prime god. Ooh. No, that's not true. Chris knows that he witnessed it. Chris was not there and Nosh was not there. She Neither says he there. was there with us. It's no, that's, it's not that he was there with us. He was there with them. Sorry. Laris says that Laris says that he was there with us. Okay. Chris and Naj. I uh, thought it was Chris that said that. No, 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 no. That was Laris. Okay. Yeah. So he is. So as old as the shards. He was, I don't think even his age comes into play with it. I mean, obviously that's part of it, but the fact that he was there, is that, part of like an imbuement of power what whatever it might be like is that a a side effect of him being present but not technically one of the shards not great question holders okay the secret sits behind you (laughs) i know it does but yeah are kind we ready of. to it continue did. on? We we still don't have those answers, PJ, to some degree. There's no perfect answer on Hoyd yet. He is meant to be a central mystery, and okay. we're still everyone is still unraveling Hoyd. It's worth pointing out, though, and I, I it maybe makes sense to mention this here. This is to date as a novel the latest entry in the Cosmere, meaning the furthest on the timeline. So this actually happens after all of the Stormlight books, technically by chronology. Okay. Good to know. Um, and timeline. Not that that like strictly matters necessarily, but it's it's an interesting thing to consider is that like obviously this is universal. It would be like skipping the Thor movies to some degree and then adding them in and like adding that context to some degree. Not that it, the context that you would gain in this moment would be on Hoyd exclusively up until this point and maybe some like general universal rules. But, you know, gotcha. <clears throat> OK, cool. So cool. Sounds good. Yeah. It, it's it's so cute that they get to launch off into the sky and then avoid in the carriage, of course, like we said. So it's a, it's a great end to a chapter. Um, it is. It's interesting, though. This is the only time that I don't think Hoyd's been overly mysterious. He's very direct. He's just a fucking coachman. <laughs> like he's, he's just like, yeah, sure. Well, I'll he, drive you where you want. That's the that's the case in Shadows of Self. Shadows yeah. of Self as well. 
There's no real conversation with him. Just there's no ulterior motive. Although I think Wayne has a conversation with him on the outside, but we never hear it. Like it's Wayne chats with Hoyd. We never hear the chat with Hoyd. Right. That's another secret history two thing. I'm sure it would make for a decent secret history two thing to hear that conversation. I think, I think secret history two from Hoyd's perspective at the very least for some of the chapters would make sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because he is here a lot. So it'd be interesting to see. So we go to chapter six. We return to Marisi hunting down this cycle, of course, as we'd split from Wayne before in the previous scene. There's a quick burst of action as he spots her, shoots, and she activates an elemental grenade, letting out a powerful steel push that Wax had previously pushed into the grenade for her and that deflects the bullets in her own pistol out of her hand, as well as the pistol later out of the cycle's hand. She reads him his rights in these moments, reciting them as they're kind of dodging around each other, and he just doesn't particularly care. He quickly continues and attacks before saying, Trell wanted you in particular, law woman. And, yeah, I mean, again, we're describing for this chapter mostly an action sequence, but that particular biting phrase begins to lay the groundwork for what is... Trell. I mean, like a direct yeah. interaction with Trell. It's never really good to be on a god's shortlist, especially a <laughs> wrathful, wrathful one, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> one that we know to not be a good person, generally. Well, I mean, do we... Who hates the system? We, we, we know we don't like the people that that worship Trell, but we don't really have any direct... We we don't have any insight into the actual like motivations of Trell at this point. Like I I've come to like realize that the gods' influences and even like the avatar of the gods' influences and avatar being very kind of loose in that with with the Lord Ruler to be completely separate from the general population's sort of manipulations of their word. So like, I, I'm not taking even this, even these people's words as understanding of Trell's influence and of, of Trell's motivations. I totally get it. And I think that that is a great conclusion to reach, especially from the sort of detached way in which these people are both connecting with God and viewing God, gods rather, not God, viewing these different entities. So that does yield an interesting question of like, is is Trell bad in the long run? And is... But I, I don't think even that's a valid question. It's, is Trell bad a- in comparison to and in opposition to what we can what what we see as good which would be correct harmony perspective is very critical on these gods i think i think that's one of the most important things i'm trying to like i was trying to pick at that without approaching it so directly if that makes sense that's where Mm -hmm. i was trying to like lead us to is that perspective is critical because as we know from harmony and from ruin and preservation intent drives these beings and trell is a name, not an intent. The names that we have so far for similar gods inside of the Cosmere are entirely intent-driven and seem to be also the way that the gods themselves are pointed and like aimed as a, a manifestation of something larger. And so right. 
Trell doesn't speak to anything specifically outside of potentially, like you're saying, I, I like the depiction of an avatar that this is maybe not the sole authority of this other god, but maybe is a, a like a sliver or a divergence of it. And I, I think that's what we'll get to maybe in the next question when we talk about when we talk about the spike specifically. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and we quickly discover as the scene progresses that, like, there, there are hemological spikes that have granted this person the power of ferrochemy. They've been granted two powers, which hasn't happened in forever. No one's been given the full powers of ferrochemy since the the Catasandra to begin with. And so we, we're aware of the fact, and Marisi is aware of the fact, that this is not someone of whom has been naturally gifted with these things as well as the fact that they really don't know how to they don't understand and know how to use them as fully as someone who has been born with this power has been using it their entire lifetime and so they're kind of at odds with their full suites of abilities being wielded against each other including the like alimenta cube and marisi not understanding entirely like she gets it but she doesn't have as much experience as wax does so it's imperfectly used in these moments. But in the end, Marisi manages to stab the man with a glass dagger. He begins to heal quickly because of these ferrochemically charged spikes. And he mentions that Trell is choosing a host. Yeah. What could this possibly mean, PJ? <laughs> well, so so that's that's where I'm going at. Is yeah. is this a it, it depends on what the spike actually does. Mm-hmm. And if the spike hemologically grants possession of the body of whoever's wielding it, that's one thing. But if it, if it grants something else and the person wielding that spike takes on another like interpretation of what's going on, that's something entirely different. So... The, the spike could be the method in which this god, Trell, could manifest within an avatar of themselves. Or if it's something more, more likened to the hemology that we know from the previous two eras, that, that could be a misinterpretation and, and could be like leaning on something more than what it's actually intending. So it, like we're, we're dealing with inherently an unreliable, not necessarily inherently an unreliable narrator, narrator, but an unreliable speaker in the moment, because we don't have enough information to understand what they're actually going through and what they're actually experiencing. So yeah. like, th- there's this era of mystery that has credibility but there is still that sort of nugget of doubt in my mind about what they're actually going through. To to some degree, I'm going to take this into like extreme math terms, but it's in physics terms. And I, I think you'll appreciate this, but it's like we have Newton's three laws and we don't get general relativity until we start to begin to quantify velocity effectively. Right. That's one of the big changes that happens in physics and science is being able to actually take into consideration speed as velocity and acceleration. And so the evolution therein is like Newton was right about these three things and general relativity is the extension of them. However, we see as a reader, we interpret 
we can kind of like we, we're beginning to project relativity while our our characters only understand the three laws. And so there are some things that are incorrect about their assumptions at the time that we need further expounding upon to get us to the point of where we begin to understand relativity. Does yeah, that make sense? Because those As laws in, haven't been pushed to the extremes yeah, that, that exact, aren't observable by their, yes. their current technology. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah, but does that make sense? Totally, down? exactly, exactly where my mind went. Sweet, because that's also where my brain yeah. went in this moment. Is it's it's like we we are hemology specifically, and and potentially any of the metallic arts. We have this base understanding, and again, I would equate it to maybe the periodic table, and we've assumed that we have the table filled out and we know everything that's on the table, but maybe there are things in between. There are nuances, obviously that we're finding out when you're like, when you are a, a steel pusher and you've been also given a steel spike, you've got more nuance of control is the example there. And so there are fragments of this understanding and we're looking at it through the strict lens of these are the three laws of Newton or the three laws of robotics. And they will strip, they will, they will stretch and twist over time, potentially, as we continue to understand the system. And in the end, it'll all tie together in something that's complete and robust, we hope. But it is... I mean, that's, it, it that's makes the for same thing with quantum story. mechanics, we hope. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that, yeah, that's, it, that's the thing, is like mm-hmm. we're, we're still dealing, dealing with that in real life. And right. like a lot of well, the cutting-edge stuff dealing with the speed of light and dealing with really, really tiny particles and how they interact is still like it doesn't, it doesn't conform to classical mechanics and we have, yeah. and we have enough evidence to come up with additional theories and come, come up with additional sort of what's the word for it? Propositions, uh, not uh, methods, not explorations, uh, I don't know. theories, not, I mean, yes, theories, methods. but frameworks sure. in which they operate. But we just don't have the equipment to properly evaluate them and measure them. And that, that, like, that is what so, so fascinates me about physics is that it, it is truly still an ongoing, evolving field. But that's also exactly what will get us into proper space travel are these, like, far fetched theories yeah. about, about, light and about speed and about objects and how they interact right right and so what brandon has done as we begin to understand it we start to see these things unfold is he's laying that foundation for his own system in which space travel in the way that you're imagining it is explainable right between the three realms between these different magic systems between these different important components to real matic theory of which is its own basis of physics you know, if we if we talk about the this is so tangential to everything else, but it's important because it connects in the Cosmere at large. The benefit in like the the gross thing and gross meaning collective thing that happens with Cosmere at large is that for fantasy, it is showing that there are other ways to build a world beyond Tolkien's basis of language, which was the foundational element in which he used to unite a world and to give a common sense to everything. And so he used language. And in the same way, Brandon is using 
his own version of magical physics effectively yeah Yeah. Yeah, that's unique the only thing that gets close to it in my head in this concept and the way that it's spun is the wheel of time with the one power but Mm. we're probably never reading that on the podcast it would take too long it's Uh, fine by me (laughs) yeah but it's great i I would recommend it it. you can read it whatever the fuck you want yeah you can read it whatever you want if you want to read some fucking do it we'll talk about it i would love to talk about it but we don't need to like should i read it before watching the show no i don't think you need to you could do it either way the first season of the show is basically it's it's a collection their goal with the show is to cover it in less time than the books take because the first three books are kind of a riff on the Lord of the Rings presentation style. And so they basically are, they're turning the first three books into basically the first two seasons, plus some bits from book four and five that they're taking in because some characters leave and they're like kind of mashing it all together. So, okay. And then in post, they'll like wind out the final books as it should be, but gotcha. because like there are character arcs that technically happen on the, it's tough to explain there are so many words in the wheel of time that it yeah again getting back to the core point here i really love the way that this world is so heavily grounded in this sort of using a a phrase from this week in discussions this is a hard fantasy world meaning that it is well defined by a system of rules being it physics being it religion being it some sort of foundational aspect that guides the world from its beginning to end and there's something that it has to adhere to from scope and there's nothing soft necessarily immediately about the world and i love this sort of basis of physics but it does at the same time make it really tough to talk about this stuff because you and i theorize about this and we're stuck in the same like lens as the characters and we're never gonna know until brandon winds up being done with this and then we'll have the answer so in 30 years we'll be able to have a firm conclusion on it and it will seem genius and revolutionary but that's 30 years from now yeah like that's that's my like core my brain fog with this whole thing is like it's it's going to take so long to get to the end of this to some degree. If we think of it all as the Cosmere, as opposed to these isolated stories and mm-hmm. worlds and universes. So yeah. yeah that okay. Sense. That was a really long way to talk about the avatars of, uh, of Trillium, <laughs> <laughs> the in-betweens, but I think it was all good. So I, uh, Marisi manages to down the man with three rapid fire shots to his skull right before he gets to her. And when she gets to the bottom of the cycle, she finds a set of four spikes when she's kind of exploring that corpse. When she reaches for them, the cycles. What's that? A set, set, you say? Yeah, a set of four spikes. Good one. (laughs) Cycles eyes snap open and he whispers through bloody lips. The ash comes again. The world will fall to it. You will get what you deserve, and all will wither beneath a cloud of blackness and a blanket of burned bodies made of ash. Your end will come, either in ash or at the hands of men of gold and red. Gold and... And she's cut off when it's pulled out of him, and he dies, collapsing, very similar to the way that Miles' hundred lives did when he was finally deprived of his power at the beginning of Al- or at the end of Alloy of Law. Mm-hmm. yeah this shit goes deeper and deeper huh yeah it's just a <laughs> giant tunnel of fuck but not I a mean, fuck the, tunnel those are different things this is my first indication as to why alloy of law and this book are t- 
tied in Brandon's mind. I'm also guessing that the red haze that's depicted around the world is tied into this and potentially will be used as a forcing of Harmony's hand to opening the ash mounds back up. And that that's sort of where this prediction that the, the ashes will fall again comes from as a, a means to the end and as a sort of forcing of the hand by Harmony. So you think it's Harmony that will reopen the ash mounts to like try yeah. to stall whatever this is. Yeah, mm. to, to combat it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. He's and, the one and, that has I mean, like a, over the world. Like he, he's the one that has mm-hmm. influence over the actual like terrain. And in it the case of something it, like, like a, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about it on the other side. You're, you're right on the side of like adjusting the terrain. Right. But like ash and ruin I mean, came from the, obviously ash it's very evocative. Yes, it's very evocative of Era 1, and so I, I follow you there. But Ash and Ruin could mean, I mean, it could be as as low and as simple as the burning of all of these cities, the end of civilization. It doesn't need to be the the sundering of the world in its own right. But it is interesting to also pin that back on, is this how Harmony would potentially deal with the end of the world? <clears throat> and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Would he fight an army of immortal, not immortal, but comparatively, like, difficult-to-kill warriors from a different god by literally rendering the planet uninhabitable again, like the I think he'd try. Yeah, he might. Fuck. Crazy to think about, crazy to consider. I mean, if he's cornered and has no other options... And his options are let the world fall or do as the Lord Ruler do. Like, what are you going to choose? Like, it's an impossible choice, but yeah. preservation will reign true. Likely, we assume. Yeah. Yeah. With that, let's go into chapter seven here. We go from the violent ends to gleeful flying through the sky, and it's just an awesome moment to be exploring the city in this way with Wax and Max, and actually really gives this sense of wonder for the first time that I had with the series since I originally opened that first Mistborn book and read about Vin flying through the air and all of that when she got exposed to this with Kelsier. I, I just, I love this tiny little chapter, man. Again, we've been talking a lot about like how much we enjoy this book, but... It's so good. I love it it recaptured that wonder that I really felt like I lost from secret history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it too. And uh, there, there's just so much innocent joy depicted mm-hmm. here. It, it's, it's refreshing and it's different and it's, it's, I mean, can you tell I like it? Can you tell I like this book? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. No, of course I, we do. Of course yeah, we do. I can it's, definitely tell that you like it for sure. I, Again, like you just mentioned, the first scenes of Vin flying through the air with steel pushing. Like it's exactly exactly what I was thinking of too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but on a more innocent level, because that that scene is dripping with just darkness and necessity and this is playfulness. Like this yeah. is frivolity. And fun. 
frivolity is so good here to use as a word because it definitely does feel frivolous, especially when he's talking about throwing the ball and other things like that with him at the end of the chapter and kind of playing catch with his kid, you know, on his back and like manipulating angles and trying to teach him how to throw things so that it'll work well. It's it's such a good moment to share. But also this chapter focuses inward on wax, right? So there, there's both this like very sweet, wholesome component that happens that does feel like it recaptures some of that joy that we had in the original Mistborn book. But then on top of that, it also, as I talked about earlier, it, it feels like it it attempts to make it clear to us that like Wax has overcome the grief that really sat with him for the original trilogy. Like he has moved past it in big ways. He's not it's it's not as though it's all gone necessarily. He still thinks about Lessie, but he doesn't feel that same blanket of weight on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, what we talked about earlier, I think comes into play here re- regarding his interaction with the Senate and and how he's kind of grown. Yeah. His interactions are are much more grounded and well thought out and I I'm curious and i i suspect that fatherhood in general has has impacted his outlook on much more than just these fatherly duties yeah i it had to it had to it, I, of course I it had to yeah right but i i want to jump back to the previous like comment earlier about frivolity and is it jaded of us and is it kind of a an artifact of our outlook of this story to call that interaction f- frivolous or is it just proper child rearing and just just the way that you should interact with children and like can is it fair to call that frivolous you're so I love that. I love that. That's so hard for me to like, I don't think there's a solid answer, but I do think that like my brain originally, as you said, it was like, well, I think it's frivolous if you consider it versus the time that Wax could be spending on trying to correct the political things. And like, there's only so much of that that you can do though. And like, you need to balance your life. And the reality is, is that as opposed to having an unbalanced life in when, in which Wax would spend all of his time, you know, talking with compatriots, trying to move the needle on different objects, being the whip for some degree of of his, there's no parties necessarily, but of his group of, of the consortium that likely agrees with him. He instead can also be a father. So we, we attribute frivolous because of the story, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think old wax would have called this frivolous as well, which is why it also brings up the history and the grief that he's moved past in these moments. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great point. Love that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Sorry. Sorry to backtrack. No, I, I don't think that's a, I don't think PJ, that was a brilliant backtrack. No one gives a shit if it's really smart. Uh, <laughs> 
It's only if it's a dumb one. That's that's <laughs> a rare that's a rare showing for me. I think at this point. Oh no no no! You're good. But they end the chapter playing catch in this sort of as we've mentioned frivolous and also maybe ultimately necessary exercise. It just feels so good when a vessel as they're playing this catch, they wax sees a vessel begin to arrive as this Malwish ship comes up in the distance. And we move as this pair begins to find out what's going on and why this Malwish ship is here to begin with. We'll get back to that in chapter nine, though. More tech, more tech, more tech. PJ wants stuff. PJ wants stuff. I want stuff. <laughs> I want objects. <laughs> Give me the objects. <laughs> Okay, cool. So we move on to chapter eight and we move back to Marcy having collected the spikes and she approaches Wayne of whom, you know, had previously split off from the group and was doing his own thing to make sure that he takes care of the guards and he's tied them up and is playing cards with them, but they're tied up so they can't play cards. So he's playing their hands for them. And this is honestly, to me, it's a hysterical scene that he also refuses to cheat despite playing their hands for them. It just, it just feels so, so good and so rewarding from, from Wayne's perspective. I love that this ties itself off, even with the old rough trick of tying them up with their own shoelaces because he can get in and steal them and then tie them up with them. Or his little joke about maintaining his reputation with them as a cannibal. It's just, this, to me, is the perfect version of Wayne. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, w- I will push back a little bit against you calling the saying that he's playing their hands for them because he's not. He's, no, he's acting right. as their hands, but they're using yes. their toes to point at what <laughs> what cards they want to play. Right. He just has the opportunity to he's look at all of their cards because they're yeah, they're face up. He's effectively <laughs> doing it for them. Like it, I mean, it, like we'll yeah. give permission where you know. <laughs> I know, but the, this whole scene was hilarious and again insightful into Wayne's character. I think, and how he's evolved. And it is the true Wayne. I feel like this is the Wayne we've been waiting for. This is mm-hmm. the character that hasn't fully, like, apparated, but should have. That we I talked about and we assumed yeah. was there, right? So we, like, a- again, Brandon has said many times that his writing is meant to be a window pane for you to stare through and for you to then see and imprint upon. And I understand that, and I I get his perspective. And this is why I attribute it to the editing to some degree, is it feels like the difference an editor made almost a miracle mile of this story, where it feels as though entirely different. Like, I I don't... I still feel the windowpane, but I feel like I, in moments... I'm seeing it through stained glass. And so I have a good perspective and I, I have a slightly colored perspective and that's okay. I think that's a good thing. That's like good writing has a little bit of color to it. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be, you know, overly flourishy prose, but a little bit, of, a little bit of something gives this a lot of weight. And I think that's a very, very clear with Wayne's character in this book already. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. So there's a tiny note here that I want to mention before we jump into kind of the big changes about the trailing spike really not liking touching any of the other spikes inside the bag as she's holding them. It seems to be pushing itself apart. I want to pick your brain. Why would the trillium be separating itself from the other spikes? That's that very interesting. Hmm. Very interesting, Matt. Yeah. I am still not quite sure what to make of it. 
it, there's a lot of questions that I would want to ask in order to like try to get a feel on what's going on here. Most of them dealing with magnetism in general, like as, as the other metals get closer, does that repulsion get stronger? Like, is it proximity based? Is it possible to push past that repulsion and touch the spikes together and it, if it in like if it does contact another metal what happens i mean we're just so limited at this point on on the actual interactions but that repulsion aspect of it is so so cool it's fascinating it leads to a lot of questions and you can also understand why at the end of chapter 10 she's pushing for wax to be able to be the one who evaluates this in in mm-hmm. the same regard in which you're mentioning right so yeah totally it all clicks it all makes sense i really enjoy the code word that's shared between her and wayne for going and getting the other constables as instant backup being this thing where she drops the time bubble and locks everyone inside of it and wayne goes off and gets them like he did at the end of i think it's alloy of law and it it just ends up being a perfect scene that is handled so elegantly by her burning cadmium and reading people their rights you know like taking a moment to read the entirety of what they could possibly be stood up for and you know we we assume this in America as the Miranda rights, but you know, that's, that's like a short codification or short enunciation to some degree of, of rights that you, you have a right to when you're arrested. And I imagine Maracy's are much, much longer. <laughs> like her rights readings have got to be just <laughs> egregious to make it feel this time to some degree. I, I just, I love the idea. It's a perfect combination of their two sensibilities, right? Wayne's going to run off to get people and Maracy is going to be the one to make sure that they know exactly how they can be represented inside of the legal system and what laws they broke in and everything else. It's beautiful. Wayne also shows at the end of the scene the cancellation effect of the bubbles and that the whole bubbles don't cancel each other out, but instead create small pockets of normal time. I think this is fascinating considering before this point, I had genuinely this as when one bubble interacts with another the whole thing moves and stops but this suggests that like as a cadmium burner you could move or sorry as a bendel alloy burner you could move through someone's cadmium bubble by burning your own metal and then turning it on and off on like the edges basically yeah it's it's interesting i i i didn't expect this as the answer to that question I was hoping this would be the answer to that question because I I, was really upset. I was really upset by the concept of just outright. I assumed annihilation. Cancel. Outright annihilation didn't make sense to me. And I was frustrated by that being the explanation that we got of the interaction between the two. So this I loved and makes sense to me and like genuinely like, I'm I'm still trying to grapple with the cen- the centering of the bubble and like where it's sure. placed, how it's not centered upon the self, that the self can move around out outside of the direct center of that bubble. Like that's still something that I'm trying to grapple with, but this grounds the the abilities and their interactions so much more for me. And Maracy attributes the that like bubble control just to like using it as often as they do. So it 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 burgeons on savantism, 
it, um, it, it feels like it's it is, pointing it's at mastery. savantism for women. yes exactly it's it's not it's not suggesting full savantism as though we saw in spook but it is pointing towards mastery in that direction so it, do- it does feel like a little bit of a retcon doesn't from... savantism feel like a little bit of a retcon <laughs> in general though well no 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 i mean i mean wayne's ability to like control the size of his bubbles mm-hmm. is not new here but it's yep. treated like it's new mm-hmm. even like it, it, we got that in i think sh- i think alloy of law no where, i think his bubbles were pretty strict in alloy of law but i think it was shadows of self which i think is where it, whatever the one yeah. is where he is like sneak up sneaking up behind the guy in the alley yeah shadows that's in shadows okay but he he recognizes that he can control the size of his bubbles right and he does it improperly but it still works out for him and he like he chastises himself for being sloppy Mm -hmm. whereas this makes it feel like this is an entirely novel concept worth noting yeah worth worth noting again pov lock is important which you brought up right at the end to marisi it makes it seem novel but on top of that i mean a lot of this is at, at this point my brain with brandon sanderson is part one is making sure that we understand the mechanics that are going to be important to the story unfortunately that that is a consistent theme throughout not unfortunately but like as a result of these complex rule systems Brandon almost always has to spend a good portion of part one reminding us of the reality of the situation. It's it's not a it's not a bug, but it is a f- a bug guising itself as a feature. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Or a feature guising itself as a bug, something like that. And so to me, this is a reminder that like. Wayne is capable enough to adjust the bubbles to some degree. The new piece of information here is that that annihilation that it's not completely and entirely like an, an annihilation whenever these are used in conjunction with each other, because that's the way that it seemed to be depicted up until this point. We never saw them use the bubbles at the same time. We never saw this interaction. So it's not as though there's a retcon, but we always were kind of told that they eliminate each other. We just didn't have the picture. Now we get the picture. It's a partial elimination. It's truly like creating a bubble of normal time and kind of stretching it so that you could maybe reach someone in the center. So but well cool. marisy go ahead no it, it's it's pretty cool I, I i could come up with like theories about why that was the standard like understanding like one of them is much larger than the other like cadmium is a smaller bubble and bendeloe is a much larger one so other way around almost yes. always they completely over encompass each other yeah right but I yep. feel like you'd still notice the interactions being different. Yeah. My my other thought is like these are internal and external metals, right? As as described on the table to some degree. So, you know, there, there's this idea of pushing a bubble or, or pressing a bubble in around yourself versus pushing time outside of yourself to try to like make this make sense. And that interaction or annihilation and sorry, lack of annihilation makes me think that these forces are separately powerful as though one is more powerful than the other. 
if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because cadmium has a bigger bubble than band alloy does innately. Doesn't that imply that it's more powerful technically by by like a force standard, not necessarily by like, you know, as we think about power in quotes, but by a force standard, if you're to create an investiture scale, <laughs> which would be crazy, it feels like cadmium would have more exertion over more space and therefore it would have more power because of standard physics equations. Yeah. 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 Gets complicated and messy the more that more that we sit and linger on it so of course the bigger curiosity in this moment outside of the way that these powers annihilate each other is the focus of the mysterious masked woman of whom was there when the bubble was up and seen on the outside not masked like a malwish but masked like a thief who do you think this could be pj i totally fully want to make this a prediction i mean at this point i assume it's someone from the set boo boo i know i but you're not but, he, but hear me out yeah 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 marisi leans so hard into the fact that they have the upper hand over the set because they have mm-hmm. like because no information got out right so at this point it's entirely possible that that is the leak of information that allows yeah. the set to anticipate and misdirect the constables in their pursuit yes i don't disagree with that i just think that the set is too general of a prediction my friend but you you want me to try to guess who this person is i love your theory of of the the sort of general general theory of like where this goes right but it's easy to be general i'm just asking for like maybe a specific here okay who's this am i supposed to assume that this is a person we've met before I don't know. Do you think it's someone new or do you think it's someone we've met? PJ, welcome to the question. Have you not considered this? Do you think it's someone new? Do you think it's someone we've met? I can't remember the exact way it was that she was depicted, but I feel like most people that we've met in this era, Marisi has had firsthand encounters with. Sure. She's masked. It was a very, very brief interaction. A little blurred because of the bubble. Yeah. Right. I feel like it would be not disingenuous, but what's the word I'm looking for? Cheaty, I guess, for this to be Wax's sister. Telson. Telson. And for Marisi to not recognize her. Okay. But I think she's who would who makes sense for this outcome that I'm like laying out. Okay. All right. So if you need me to like guess a person. I'll guess Telson, but I, I'd be more inclined to believe it's someone we haven't actually met. I'll give you credit for both. Uh, I, I will give you that. Okay. Is that fair? If this is somebody that we've met before, this is Telson. And it's not. If it's well, not yeah. someone we have met before, this is what for I'm the su- set. How is that I'm, fair? Oh, like, is that oh, fair yep. for, is that fair for my prediction? Yes, I think that's great. Okay. I think I think Perfect. I'm very in on that. So, yeah. All right. Marisi and Wayne talk walk away from the scene as the constables arrive to clean up the rest of the mess, and that's the way this chapter ends. I mean, they very clearly are not the ones of whom are going to be cleaning up the crime scene. They'll leave that to other people. They're the detectives. They're the front line, and everything else cleans itself up very, you know, yeah, nicely. You gotta love leaving the grunt work up to somebody else, right? <laughs> 
Of course, of course. <laughs> they they already did the heavy detective work by pulling out the spikes and murdering and, the cycle and, um, and mushing the, through the yeah. through the through the sewer. Thirty seven people or something like that, I think, in total that they had like counted as they were walking around and dealing with them. I mean, the two of yeah, them. This, incredibly is, a, this is a huge haul. Yeah, huge. It's a bunch a of bodies. Deal. A couple of a couple of high profile bodies too. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, we go into chapter nine. Wax eventually makes it up to where the airship docks and meets the captain, Admiral Dahl, of whom almost immediately begins to tear into him for the results of the previous book, Bands of Mourning, and the contested thievery of said object, the Bands of Mourning. Dahl is a war leader who appears to have played a part in you defining the five tribes of the Malwish people into a single nation, as it was discussed in the previous book. What do you make of their back and forth and the contention around the deal that was made at the ends of Bands of Mourning by Steris and Jonas? Yeah, the previous, Jonas, I think, is right. Yeah, the previous captain. Yeah, so, I mean, we know right away in Bands of Mourning that the Malwish aren't happy with the terms right. that they've agreed to. Like, that, they, they agree to it begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it's not surprising that they're pushing against it now and, and don't quite right. recognize it to the same degree that, that the Elendelian emissaries do. Yeah. Um, what is surprising to me, though, is the, the conjunction of this sudden change of ambassadorship and the flagrant show of force of having a warship on the city outskirts. Or like, is it even, it might be within the city limits at this point. Like, it, it is aggressive. It's within the city limits. Yeah, like it's it's flying a warship basically over the defenses because you assume that they're not offensive. Yeah. Yeah. In, but, in another but that, another that, novel. The biggest thing the biggest thing to me is the the un the unexplained replacement of the ambassadorship. And that ambassador was a known quantity, you know. But but was an easy not easy but a god i'm i keep coming up with like things i want to say that i i don't quite have the words for on the top of my head Mm -hmm. but it's not like i i I just want to say the word copacetic but i know that's wrong but agreeable that's what i was saying like i think think agreeable might yeah be the right right word Uh, friendly friendly sure yes is close friendly is close to what i'm talking about but in emissary for quantitary (laughs) for for like known person known known partake like if you understand how someone's going to react at the very least you understand how they're gonna like move inside of a scheme right even if you're not fully friendly like it's predictable and admiral doll is not predictable anymore Yeah. And I think that's on purpose. Yes. Very clearly. Like th- this mm-hmm. is this is a show of force. This is all but an act of aggression and is going to cause a lot of waves especially mm-hmm. within the Senate. Yeah. Yeah, this is not as simple of a change as Admiral Dahl makes it seem even in the moment. No, and uh, I, I don't like I said. mean he says it, but I don't think he's intending to no like he's got ulterior motives for sure yeah 
Well, and, and Wax yeah. is cognizant enough to pick those up, right? Like he's, hmm. you know, he's he's trading his known quant his known quantity for something that is completely unknown outside of the the variable that is. I know that he's a genuine warrior, and by another word, a conqueror, and so that's an important thing to keep in mind going forward. Is that like this guy? knows what he's doing and knows how to United Nation potentially. Danger! Danger! High voltage! Yeah. Right. Wax, though, like, of course, is confronted with a sudden problem as he's taking care of his child and Max takes a trip to the bathroom. And at first, Admiral Dahl is like, no, he can fucking wait. He's a and he's like, can you, have you ever been able to make a child wait? You can't do that like just let him go to the bathroom but they also chat about the ways the city has changed over the years with cannon emplacements meant to defend against the airships that might potentially come for them from the air as well as the sort of encampments that have been placed to shoot things down as they approach from the water it's interesting as Dahl also mentions to think about what a war would look like between these two groups that they've since avoided imagine if these were warring nations as opposed to ones that are in a tenuous peace what that would look like yeah, it's it's unbelievable or almost unfathomable to have two warring nations with such a disparity of technological like implementation. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's so dramatic and so different, but that's obviously happened before. It right. happens all the time in new. history. It's not new. It happens in games like Civilization. It happens in so many different video games. You you see it all the time, but it still feels it, it still feels like it shouldn't be such a big difference. But historically, how it works out is the the people with the better tech win. Typically, like right. I'm I'm sure people could point out to examples of situations where that's not the case. But I'm I'm also sure that those are few and far between. So what's interesting to me is how Admiral Dahl almost seems to present this like a stalemate. And and maybe that's my misunderstanding of the technology of Allendale at the time. But it feels like they have the the upper hand in in any sort of warfare situation. He's playing it like a stalemate, which is interesting because that suggests that there is some other sort of advantage that potentially the city of Ellendale and as such the northern province, if you want to think about it that way, holds over top of the southern dominance, as it were. But Mm -hmm. we don't get a solid answer there. Could it be something as easy as numbers? Could it be the technological advancements that they've achieved? Could it be just the sheer number of Alamancers that exist? Because we know the Southern nations struggle with Alamancers. Are they concerned about that as a war force? There there are a couple of different quantities that... Could it be firearms? It, it could be firearms. It could be, it could be a couple of things. And yeah, we, we just... There's not a perfect picture here painted of the differences, but we know that they're both concerned about the other. And that's kind of kind of what we get to contend with. To or at least degree. that's how it's presented. I don't know if I trust yeah. him. And you I don't, don't know think if you're supposed him. to. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think you're supposed to either. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, of course, after this potty break, Wax just isn't having a very good day professionally, but he's trying to deal with it the best that he can in these moments. He disembarks the airships and hops towards Alstrom Tower, where he'd previously stashed his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law in the previous books, but... It, it's become the residence for the family in that penthouse because they can fly up high. They're removed from a lot of society, and they've they've got this kind of exclusive access. It, it feels it feels good for them, so it makes sense. He meets with Steris, and they discuss the situation of the world. And all while Wax mis- mixes himself a drink composed of Allendale whiskey, it's described as strong flavored, smoky, and complex. So I'm going to say that, like, Ellendale whiskey must be closer to scotch than the hooch that he describes from the tub, just as a kind of vague guess, but the way that it's alluded to. that That's yeah. what I got from it, too. Yeah. But either way, cheers. Cheers. I'm out, but I'm going to grab some in just a moment here. Okay. I got Fair. a little bit. Cheers. But this yeah. is a bad day for Waxy Poo. it's a tragic day for waxy boo yeah but i mean there's truly like there are very few days that don't get brightened by by whiskey so and stare like and his wife as far as we understand and like getting to have this wholesome moment with his child you know yeah at the very least despite all of the bad things he has those things but you know Mm -hmm. i do imagine wax it without these things yeah. How would this day have gone? I don't think he would have made yeah. it out of the Senate chambers. A fair point. <laughs> <laughs> he would have he would have never escaped had it had it been not for family and other things tethering him to reality, which is good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I do appreciate we we've talked about like dependency and alcohol in general in this series, and I, I think that this depiction of booze is one that makes the most sense of a number of absurd and actually like matches a description and a feeling and he's mixing himself a drink and it would have been nice to like go something and like see what that concoction is potentially like describe building an old fashioned. That's what I'm imagining wax is drinking in the moment. It's hard to describe a healthy relationship with something like alcohol or any sort of numbing agent or depressant. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 like that feels like an oxymoron to truly describe a healthy without experience for sure. It. Yeah. Well, yeah, y- yeah. But this, this seems to be the closest representation of something like that from any mm-hmm. of these novels so far. Oh, for sure. Most definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, You're I right. applaud Branderson for that. I, I will just add in a little bit of extra context. I, I think that like, to me, this feels like a symptom of, again, pulling the gloves off to some degree. And like he is a little bit more aggressive with alcohol in the Stormlight Archive, which is notable because it, like it just it feels more natural as a part of the story. And again, it's something that those gloves being off, he can finally like just do whatever the hell he wants. And it feels like he's not restricted. And so I'm down. Mm-hmm. I'm down. I'm down for a Brandon Sanderson that feels like he doesn't have to pull punches. Yeah. Provided he doesn't lose the thread. That's my, my only, my only keeper here, but Mm -hmm. it's not to say that that happens or anything. It's just like a, it's like a, I'm down so long as we don't lose character for plot, but 
The chapter ends with the note from Marisi about the exciting news and to meet at the mansion at 3 p.m. Yeah, this this moment, for whatever reason, made me really start thinking about how their extended family actually interacts with each other on a personal level. Yeah, definitely. And, like, it, it's got to be a little bit awkward for Marisi and Wax to interact with each other as in-laws. There, it Maybe. was one thing. It was one thing to to have this will they or won't they relationship while he was engaged to Steris, but this solidifies the like the interaction post fact, and I think what it really does is mm. hopefully, hopefully, prove that Marcy has actually moved forward and it has actually like convinced herself to be over wax we don't have enough to see that yet but like that's just where my where my mind went off of the introduction to this note that makes sense to me and i don't want to downplay it i do feel like this is the end result of that like being okay which felt like the end of the bands of mourning like the bands of mourning was like her truly realizing that a she doesn't need power and as such as she doesn't seek power any longer she doesn't need wax and so this feels like a culmination in some way but it is i'll give you that it is incomplete evidence and so we are waiting for the final results as they were which will be when they meet up so yeah 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 it's it's something to look forward to next week perfect cool Chapter 10, to round this all out, we begin the end of this week in Marisu's perspective, having arrived at the fourth octant constabulary headquarters and her getting to reflect on becoming friends with her peers, as well as inspiring many other women to join the force in the first place, including Wilhelmet, Wilhelmet, there's a crazy, I like the name, difficult to say, and Gem Dewin, Gem Dewin, Gem, Gem, that one is Terrace, and very clear. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to say it properly. I'm so sorry. Gem Dewin. It's Gem Dewin. Gem Dewin. Gem Dewin. Gem Dewin. Gem Dewin. It's either Gem Dewin or Gem Dewin. It's one of the, one or the other. But it's really excellent to see this change for her on the professional front. Not only in the way that like she has of herself like owned the workplace and like they love her inside of the workplace. But on top of that, the fact that she's inspired so many others to action, it's wonderful as this bonafide detective. Yeah, exactly. It's really nice. And especially a great contrast from the position that she had before as an ousted teacher's pet kind of character or what what would you call it not nepotism but undeserving pupil into this this leadership role and a natural leadership role yeah exactly and and earned and deserved Mm -hmm. and respected so it's a great contrast and a a great progression Mm mm-hmm I think this gets into one of the big things that I I really appreciate about a lot of Brain's writing is that he does a lot of his main characters are women like genuinely. And I I think that this is when this again takes the highlight and the forefront. And I think that he does a where where Vin had slip ups in modern day interpretations. Marisi is entirely made up for any any sort of 
changes in in appreciation or like what people want or are seeking. I love what Marisu represents in this book. Between reading this and reading Sereni in Elantris and reading Warbreaker, I genuinely regret my comments that I made about it in our wrap up with 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 Lindsay regarding mm. Brandon's ability to write female characters. I, I think it's important to always take those with a grain of salt, right? So it, it is it is something that like I've thought about a lot and why I also kind of refrained in those times, whereas like he's done a couple of good, really great depictions. And this was a new like obviously again, this gets to the fact that like our episodes are artifacts in time to some degree where we can't talk like there's no way that I could have known about Marisi's importance at this point and like what she would become come to represent. Um, there's mm-hmm. no way to predict that. So I, I I simultaneously love it and I can't fault you for it either because I do keep you intentionally blind to things. So, you know, we can only blame Branderson in the moment for what he was writing. So, right. And, and yeah. thinking about, but he only gets better. I think that's the reality as we, as we've read more and more and more for the most part is it only becomes better and more nuanced for the most part. But Elantris um, Vin, was before Mistborn. <laughs> I know, I know. What it, what I was trying to get to is like Vin feels like a very different, like a sidestep to some degrees degree versus Serini because Vin wasn't necessarily a, a girl's girl to any degree or like a a royal example of a girl. She imitates one at one point. Anyway, g- core point being, he's he's good at he's better than most at the perspective. Not perfect by any stretch, but I, I do especially appreciate Warbreaker mm-hmm. as such. But yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it again. I mentioned it many times. It's my favorite Cosmere book. I think pretty close with the first two Stormlight Archive books, but right there. Yeah. So we move from that moment to having a lovely meeting with Reddy, of whom has risen to the highest office in the Octant, and they chat about a number of way of Wayne's shenanigans, including enjoying some of them. You know, it's it's funny where he's like, no, 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 I don't want it to end because it's kind of a funny mystery around me but there are also two mysterious men in bowler hats looking for wayne for some accounting firm it seems our friend may be in a bit of a trouble with the banks what do you think yeah yeah this is pretty rough i simultaneously like am dreading and can't wait for the moment when these two guys start breaking kneecaps Mm -hmm. because i feel like that's inevitable (laughs) based on how they've been presented so far i mean i i Beyond that, beyond beyond the bowler hat guys, I appreciate that Reddy has taken to no longer returning the uh, the folder on Wayne to its proper location, and it has gained permanent residence on his desk <laughs> because it's just so, <laughs> yeah, just, so it frequent that he has desk. to pull it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, it's. I mean. The, that tracks that makes sense yeah it does it 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 is such it's it's simultaneously like a light-hearted joke and at the same time like of course someone like wayne would have a violation file that would just pile and pile and pile up and at the same time ready is enabling in the same way that we were talking about wax enabling to some degree right like marisy challenges both of the male figures that could regulate wayne are enabling in their mm-hmm. own rights. Yeah. Yeah. 
just something to look at, you know, not necessarily something mm-hmm. to stare at too long, but something to think about at the very least as we think thematically back to Wayne. Right. We we get the conversation earlier on about Milan and and their Oh God, how did I breakup. skip how did I skip that? Oh my god, PJ, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He is so disrupted emotionally by this breakup, right? It is so core to what he's thinking about in these different moments. He's like, Marisi comes back with something along the lines of, how do you know that she's going to break up with you? And he's like, well, because she told me as such, like she told me, hey, Wayne, I'm, I think I'm going to have to break up with you soon. And that is fucking heart-wrenching after the last couple of books and like knowing all of these different things about the relationship and seeing Wayne progress emotionally with a romantic interest, like, oh, and, and moving away and, and from what's her name? The woman, Renette. Renette, moving away from Renette. Like, I don't think it was super satisfying, but I think we did get the effective culmination and, and moving on moment in the previous book. I think so. I, I, I feel like it could have been done much more fulfillingly. It, yeah, it could have been a more satisfying conclusion, but we yeah. still get, you know, a degree of release. Right. Yeah. There's also another oddity to discuss in this moment and that they discuss that the set are shipping weapons into Elendel as opposed to shipping them out, as we might assume, based on the way that the different legal proceedings have gone and the way that the statecraft has gone from Wax's perspective to arm the outer cities. They're where those tensions naturally feel the highest between the inner cities and the outer cities. Not only that. But it's mostly mundane things that they've been moving so far as we can tell by the shipping manifests. But Marisi has found a lead in building where these shipments are coming from and has plans to chase them down. He was looking for basically budgetary approval to get this shit done. So my initial sort of gut instinct points to alloy, alloy of law a little bit where we get the ledgers that we're fucked with. Yep. And that was primarily for tax reasons, like committing tax fraud, essentially. So like, and maybe, maybe it's intentional to evoke those feelings again, but basically on paper, things look good and maybe the shipments match what was being transported, but it's, it's a simple fact of the in coming and outgoing shipments are flipped as a means of keeping everything above above board on paper Mm -hmm. i I don't i don't know it's come some accounting bullshit is what it really feels like (laughs) yeah right (laughs) it it has it has similar notes but they're not playing the same instrument is kind of the way that it feels to me we heard a violin and we're hearing a cello right now we're trying to connect those two pieces to make it make sense as a composition yeah yeah and to to add to that confusion, we're reminded again of the set and of Edward's death at the hands of an unknown assassin of whom bombed the prison in Bands of Morning's epilogue, of whom they still don't have a good lead on and who murdered most of those people that were meant to be interrogated. There's much to uncover and much to be concerned with in this moment as they think back to that those perpetrators and who ruined this sort of who ruined the suit that they could have interrogated. But 
<clears throat> or sweet, perhaps, as you might think about the group of people. But she also brings up her ideas on general reforms and things like that in this moment and just shows that she still hasn't dropped those either and the potential thought of bringing that to the forefront for massive change. She's on a similar track to like what Wax was doing, but on a faster timeline, which is cool to see as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I still don't know entirely what to think about all of this. Sure. Yet. I think yet yeah. is the is the uh, to be okay. keyed on. Um, yeah. I'm sure it'll click in soon. And like I would like to assume maybe it's the same person that Marisi saw in that speed bubble, but there's there's nothing pointing to that. There there's no I don't know. There's there's no connective tissue. Yeah, there's no solid evidence, right? That's mm. what's going on in this moment. Ah, so we're reminded. Uh, sorry, she also in this moment turns in three of the four spikes, but requests to retain the trillium one for now, given the circumstance with this evil god lurking about, and that she's going to bring it to wax for experimentation potentially. Of course, this is approved, but obviously we end this week on this of one of our many dangling threads. But I'd love for you to pick at what you think the Trillium Spike could be and what it might do, how it might react. What do you think? So kind of going off of what we talked about a little bit previously, I think it can allow for some some bit of possession. So Mm -hmm. going off of the the comments about finding a host, Mm -hmm. like we, we get the spikes in hemallergy allowing for communication and hearing mm-hmm. from harmony and from preservation and from ruin respectively. So understanding that there are three very distinct bits of a human, mm-hmm. the mind, soul, and body. If, if harmony interacts with the mind, maybe Trell interacts with the body and and its hemallergical interactions are entirely physical. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. We'll we'll see how that plays out. I, I think that's a good thing to mark as a prediction. I like that idea. We'll see how it goes. All right. Okay. This week ends with a quick flash to Wayne away from this moment that we're talking about so deeply about this fun thing to Wayne hiding in a a different suit, a, a woman's body at this point um, from the bowler hat bean counters as he recollects them, but that he'll make sure that they don't bother ready any longer. He promises to Marisi and it's time for them to get to work is the way that this ends. Do you, do you believe Wayne's promise? What do you think of these bean counters? What do you think of this? These people that are chasing him for money. You know, I totally do. I genuinely, completely believe that promise. And but to what that, mean? That's you the know? thing is, yeah. I don't know what method he'll employ in order to fulfill that promise, but I don't think I'll like it. In, in <laughs> Or rather, I think I'll like it. I don't think Marisi will like it. Yeah. It's a great, I, I think that's the right way to put it. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot there. There's a lot to ask. There's a lot to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I'm I'm so excited to talk more about this book, and I'm so glad that you also latched into the pros the way that I did to talk about it more. Because I, I again, I mentioned that like Mistborn Era One to begin with, it wasn't my favorite pros in the world. But then on top of that, it got my my enjoyment of the plot and character was spoiled by some of secret history. And Era Two feels like it had that for me, but it was missing some weightiness almost to it. And this book has all of that. And so I'm so excited to talk about it more. Um, yeah, it, it feels for me like a reclamation of the show in a big way. So I'm, I'm excited to chat about it more. That said, we do have some predictions to pay off, PJ. Oh, but no. I think we're going to save those for next week. Because Sounds there are a good. couple that come true. And we'll, we'll talk about them next week. we got a thing that we both have to attend. So we'll push it off. But we'll start off next week a little bit hot. It'll be fun. we got some drinks hot. to take. A little hot. All right. Starting hot. With that, skipping PJ's predictions, next week we are continuing into The Lost Metal, reading chapters 11 through 19. Again, 11 through 19. I believe that's the end of part one and the beginning of part two. It might be broken up in the middle there, but I'm pretty sure that's the line. Um, I'll double check. But regardless, that's where we're going to leave you for the week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew for helping us keep our show's lights on. You can check out our show notes or check out our links in the show notes where you can find the schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, websites, all of our social media accounts in one very, very convenient location. We also want to take a second today to thank our newest bar back. I am human. Thanks for joining us, friendo. For like, uh, you know, fortuitous in its own right to have met you as the co-loss at, at Dragonsteel and to now have you as a part of the part of the group. You know, yeah. yeah I, awesome. At the time, I was just sharing with you a link, and you've since become a fan of the show. I and I I love that. So glad to have you. Beyond that, as PJ had mentioned, you can find all of our socials and everything else like that inside of our links. If for some reason those links are a little bit too confusing for you you can find us words whiskey pod on twitter instagram and reddit we're becoming more active on reddit and i'm i'm actually doing more on twitter these days for some fucking reason i don't Carlson know loves, maybe it's loves elon musk maybe he, it's because of the end is, times of twitter and i believe that maybe i could have more influence stan Oh, God. If you can't find us on any of those things or if those things aren't your bag, you can send us an email to let us know your thoughts at wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com or join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wordsandwhiskey and chat with us on Discord, listen to the Devil's Cuts, and join us for exclusive podcasts as well as live recordings and our various live events that we do once a month. I mean, PJ, we basically do a live event I, I three days a month and we often try to space those out on weeks so three out of four weeks we do a live event more often than ideally, not ideally <laughs> ideally some days we double but, them up sometimes also, we double them up sometimes every we, single episode we talk for at least 20 minutes if not longer least. sometimes yeah. up to like an hour that don't get released on this show that do get released to patrons called the devil's cut and it's it's a lot of inside baseball. It's a lot of just things that are going on in our lives that we find interesting or fun or whatever whatever media we've been consuming that we want to talk about. Like it's true. It's or or whatever that we talk about on the show that we deem maybe cut worthy for time. That gets I have thrown not into there. mentioned that we also have 
an illustrious private partier of whom has bought us out for two fucking months, PJ. Our first, our, our, our third private party, but for two months covering Castlevania, which will be coming to the short pour. So we're going to talk about season one and season two. Season one's four episodes, so I feel... Okay. It almost feels like it's too little. I, I feel a little. I feel a little bit of an internal flutter to like maybe need to cover season three, and that's kind of because I like season one. So we'll see. Right. We might just do the whole fucking thing. But we have two Let's months of Castlevania coverage that comes first to patrons and second to the public feed. Thank you so much again to Ragnar for sponsoring that as well. I'm so pumped to talk about it because I loved mm-hmm. season one, and I had only ever before that. Before you pulling the trigger, watch the first episode, and I really liked it, and I never got back to it. So I'm excited to have been pushed to go back to it. So That'll be good. Thank you all for the support. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.